What's real? What's up, everybody? Welcome back to another week here on the What's Real podcast. I am Ed, along with my co-host, the J himself, Jared. What is good, man? The J-M-A-N, as usual, hey, pumped up, veiny, pulsating, all the adjectives that describe yours truly. We got him going on this week. Consistent. Right on, brother. We uh, we got a jam-packed show for you guys this week, and I do mean jam-packed. So let's just hit the ground running, what do you say, and start out with the NFL playoffs. Uh, we had two games last weekend, of course, the AFC and NFC championships leading into what is going to be a pretty good Super Bowl, I think. And, um, you know, let's just get into it, man. First up, the AFC championship. The Chiefs, the powerhouse offense, taking on the uh, the upset kids, the Tennessee Titans, and well, the the upset ended here. Uh, in what was a pretty good game, we saw the uh, Kansas City Chiefs take that game, and uh, you know, not a big surprise, but you know, I'd say that that was probably the better game of the weekend. W- what would you say, the Jay? Yeah, really good game, and the Chiefs have this, you know, as far as the postseason go, um, it, it seems like they're kind of getting their rhythm and, and things like that. Obviously, Houston um, had the 24 nothing uh, lead in, in the game before, and the Chiefs, as we covered last week, came back hellfire and brimstone and ended up winning that game 51-31. And it was a similar um, pattern this week where they started off kind of slow. You know, the tech, or excuse me, the, the Titans were looking pretty good. And next thing you know, the Chiefs just completely took over the game and obviously mainly the Chiefs offense and uh, Mahomes. Um, and it just feels like once Mahomes gets his rhythm, then it's just, you know, ball busters to – to the victory yeah and uh you know i should mention this too the uh the final score of that one was the chiefs 35 titans 24 um and we talked about it on the show last week and this is why i picked the chiefs to win this game uh it's because i mean the titans are a really good team i'm not taking anything away from them um you know i don't even think people realized how good brian Tannehill's numbers were um, I saw something where they compared him, his numbers and Patrick Mahomes' numbers uh, over the course of, like, the last handful of weeks, and, like, their numbers were very comparable. They were very close, uh, which was surprising to me. Um, but, you know, the, I said exactly, you know, why I thought this was going to happen last week because basically the Titans have a really strong running game, and they tend to hold the ball and, and you know, play defense. And that's not an easy thing to do against the Chiefs. Uh, the Chiefs actually bolstered up their run defense. Uh, they played Derrick Henry very well, uh, definitely better than any other team so far that's faced the Titans in the playoffs. And the, the Chiefs, like you said, man, they're a juggernaut. They're, they're the best offensive team uh, left. And, uh, you know, that's why they won the game. They have the best player, in my opinion, in Patrick Mahomes, who is the best quarterback in the NFL, quite possibly the best player in the NFL. And uh, that advantage was a little bit too much, man, uh, whenever it came to this game. And uh, and also, too, you can't discount this. Um, it, it wasn't a big disaster or anything like that, but it, I thought it definitely made a little bit of a difference. Uh, the Chiefs, Kansas City is one of the hardest places to play in the NFL. And that little bit of an advantage in an AFC championship game helps you that much more. Yeah, it all adds up. And, and I think I was talking about last week in, in my analysis where I, I was really – 
you know, banking any sort of chance for Tennessee with Derrick Henry's play. And I kind of called that because, um, you know, they, they really shut him down in comparison to what he was able to do um, with the momentum that the Titans had in the postseason previously. So, you know, once once Derrick Henry wasn't doing what he was capable of doing, I feel like Tannehill, as you mentioned, had a great game. Uh, the stats were there, and he hung in there with, with Mahomes. But it, it just came to the point where the, the, the Chiefs' offense was just too overwhelming overall. And it was like once once the Chiefs had the comeback and, and kind of just – it just seems like they have that comeback and just roll by teams and they say bye-bye. You know, and it's like that it hits that point in the game in like the early part of the, the second half, like halfway through the third quarter basically. And, and then after that, you know, the Titans were, were doing some things here and there to, to chip away at a possible comeback. But really in the grand scheme of it, um, it never really looked plausible – and, you know, the Chiefs come away with it. Yep, that's it, man. You know, the that juggernaut offense of the Chiefs uh, ensured that they won this game. Uh, I forget last week. Did you pick the Titans? Did you yeah. pick the upset? Yeah, I did pick the okay. Titans. I was 1-1, one and, one and I know you were 2-0. and oh. So over, overall, our, our picks were, were pretty solid uh, for being, you know, call us semi-pro NFL analysts or, or however you want to say that but um you know since we started the podcast uh, right in the time of the nfl postseason um you know our knowledge as pretty uh consistent nfl fans uh showed in the podcast picks because we we did pretty good both of us overall yeah i think we have the same record specifically because of this week uh because the first week you went four and oh and i went three and one the next week we both went three and one and then this week you know it was like yeah you were you know, two and oh i was one and one so our record's pretty much the same going into the Super Bowl. And, of course, uh, that's with no money involved, just talking on the podcast. And if both of us were to bet hard real money, we'd probably have an opposite <laughs> end result. Yeah, we wouldn't have picked anything, right, of <laughs> yeah, that's course. How, that's how it works. Uh, and then the game that we both agreed on uh, last week, uh, and that is the NFC Championship mm-hmm. game, where even though the score is somewhat close in that the uh, the 49ers would win the game 37 to the Packers 20, um, it really wasn't even that close, man. Um, the 49ers completely dominated them. Their, their defense just smacked them around. Um, and unfortunately, that's exactly what I saw happening. Um, you know, Green Bay is a team that won 13 games this year, and um, I, I don't know how to really say this any other way, but I think they're one of the worst 13-win teams I've ever seen. Um, I did not believe in the Packers this season at all. Um, I don't think Aaron Rodgers, I think he's kind of on the downside at the, or on the downside of his career at this point. Um, you know, they're still a good team, but um, obviously not good enough to beat the 49ers uh, and that that defense man that defense is really something else yeah they're a good one-two punch uh we kind of analyzed it again in in prior podcasts with their defense as you just mentioned in combination with the three very capable running backs and then garoppolo uh, as long as he manages the football manages the game overall they're a very tough team to beat and um as as i know you're going to talk about we're going to cover our uh pre-analysis of the Super Bowl on a future podcast, Uh, so I won't get too much into it, but uh, yeah, it sets up a a really cool Super Bowl where it's almost basically like the the Chiefs offense versus the San Fran D. Yeah, and like you said, you know, we'll obviously have our picks 
uh, most likely next week. Uh, as you guys know, there's a two-week break uh, for the Super Bowl. Uh, other than that, there's a Pro Bowl, but we're not going to cover that because, honestly, who cares? Um, but, yeah, I mean, the, the Niners pretty much just overcame the Packers, and uh, obviously that means we're going to have the 49ers and the Chiefs in the Super Bowl, uh, which I'm very interested in. I think that's a, a really good matchup. We're seeing the best defense versus the best offense. Um, who's going to be able to come out on top there? Uh, like Jared said, we'll get into that uh, you know, on next week's show a little bit more in detail. Um, but, you know, it was kind of, I thought, a little underwhelming. Um, because the games have been so good up to this point that it, it felt a little anticlimactic last weekend because, you know, the games weren't quite as close as we thought, or they haven't been as close as they've been recently. Um, and the, the Packers and 49ers, like like we already mentioned, really wasn't much of a game. It was just the 49ers running attack and their defense kind of dominating the Packers. And, you know, and, and that leads to the Super Bowl that we got, man. Exactly. Yeah, I'm looking forward to it. It's a great matchup. Absolutely. Um, but that's not it. I know that, uh, you know, we normally cover the NFL a lot more uh, as far as the games go. But, you know, that tends to pare down a little bit as there are less and less games. But that does not mean that, uh, you know, we don't have anything else to talk about. There was some major breaking news uh, as we were going to record today. And that's that the uh, the guy who's known as the New York Giants quarterback for the better part of the last 15 years, Eli Manning, is set to retire um, in a move that uh, I don't think is very surprising to a lot of people. I think a lot of people were expecting that. Um, you know, you got to give the guy his credit. Uh, was a solid quarterback in the NFL for a long, long time. Uh, has two solid pay- uh, Super Bowl wins, you know, uh, both against the New England Patriots uh, in the years where they were considered to be a dynasty. Um, and he's the only guy that can say that, you know, Peyton Manning can't even say that, that he, you know, beat the Patriots twice in the Super Bowl. So that's a really incredible thing for him, a a very, very good career and a career that I would say is probably Hall of Fame worthy at the end of the day. Oh, for sure. I mean, that's, that's honestly, personally, one of my favorite Super Bowls of all time is the, the Super Bowl with the the infamous, well, not infamous, the famous helmet catch in quotes. Um, yeah, David Tyree. Yeah, that that was just unbelievable. That always sticks out to me, and um, you know he had a great career. Uh, it's a common thread right now of, of sports talk with that particular NFL class of quarterbacks. Um, our own Pittsburgh Steeler quarterback, Big Ben included, and Philip Rivers. Um, you know mm-hmm. they're getting up there in age, and uh, you know there's the the younger batch of the next generation of quarterbacks entering the NFL. So everything, you know, nothing lasts forever. Uh, every career ends, and it's getting to that point. But to your point, it was a great, great career, and I would agree that he is uh, definitely Hall of Fame bound, in, in my opinion, as well. That's right, man. And uh, also moving on, because we do have some more football news, not NFL news, but football. Uh, the XFL is getting ready to be underway um, very soon. I don't know the exact starting date. I do know that the... Uh, all the official rosters uh, will be released on Monday, January 27th. That is something that's been announced for the XFL. Um, also, uh, you know, they've been putting a lot of videos and stuff online about the rules and kind of getting people ready to go. Um, the one thing I will say, man, uh, and I think this is kind of a mistake because this league's getting ready to start, you know, like any day now, um, is their, I think their buzz is terrible. 
There is absolutely no buzz in the sports world for the XFL right now at all. Um, I think there's a little bit on the internet and stuff like that, but, you know, it's kind of weird, too, because like I just mentioned, we don't even know who's on what team at this point, let alone, you know, like what this is actually going to be. Um, And also, it doesn't help either that we saw the AAF, another version of this, it's an alternative football league, um, started up last year and didn't even make it to its championship game before the league folded, so... uh, You know, they're really fighting with everything up against them. But nonetheless, the XFL is coming, and it's coming soon. Yeah, I mean, I think it's one of those situations where, to your point, that all adds up. Um, It was a failed league years and years ago that the younger generation of people, especially, again, with with the fast-pacedness of the digital age and so much content and sports and entertainment and with all the streaming and the Internet and things, you know, younger kids probably don't even remember the the failed XFL to begin with. And and kudos to Vince McMahon. I mean, you know, obviously he's a a, a multi-billionaire, but still uh, he has the balls to try to go back to a a failed project of his and and re re, – ignite it and attempt to to make it work again um with with a lot involved in trying to to do a competitive football thing and and again it goes with the oversaturate oversaturation of current american entertainment where i mean give us a break from football man you know like we we have our uh you know, pre-game starting in August, we go through the whole season, we watch the Super Bowl. Do we have to have 365 days a year where there's some sort of teams playing football? Uh, you know, I think that's what helps the NFL where it has that break and everybody can't wait for the NFL to start again. And, um, you know, I guess the XFL's whole opening weekend, because uh, you were bringing that up, hey, Ed, uh, I have it on here. It does kick off on February 8th. Okay. Um, and, and to your point, it, that's right around the corner. Uh, as we record this podcast, it's uh, the 22nd, and we're talking February 8th, and, and you had a great point with there's not that much buzz about it, really. Um, some of the things that I wanted to bring up when we were talking about the XFL, just to break it down, uh, some of the stuff you alluded to, uh, it's they're, they're trying to promote it with five gameplay innovations, five timing changes, and five common sense rules. So breaking that down with that in front of me, the five gameplay innovations include their kickoff, their point after touchdown, their punt, and their double forward pass. Uh, And they also have uh, different overtime rules. Um, Five timing changes in comparison to to being different than the NFL. They have a 25-second play clock uh, because I I believe that's their biggest gimmick is, uh, you know, their tagline is America's favorite game is evolving, and that means less stall and more ball. They're trying to go with um, how a lot of critics of the NFL say how slow the game is. Uh, So the timing changes, I guess, reflect that in the XFL with a 25-second play clock, a comeback period, a running game clock, clock, uh, their timeout uh, timing, and replay ruling timing. And then the five common sense rules that the XFL is implying include one foot in bounds uh, for catching, ball spotting official, coach player communication, I guess is, is going to take some time off things the way they're doing it, uh, simplified illegal man downfield rule, and uh, shorter halftime. So basically they're trying to compete with the NFL by being a quicker version of American football. Yeah, and I mean, I don't necessarily know how much of this stuff's going to work. And I think that that's also part of the problem, too, is uh, a lot of this stuff sounds interesting and good on paper. 
Um, who knows how it's going to translate to the actual game itself. Yeah, that's how I see it. Um, so, like, here's the thing, because I think we saw this during the original run of the XFL. You know, they got all these rules and everything set in place. Are they actually going to keep them in place for the whole season, or is this going to be a kind of thing where they're going to be changing the rules on the fly because they realize <laughs> certain things don't work, and, you know, maybe we didn't think this one over enough, and it's really doing this to the game, and we don't really want that. So, And I'm not saying that that's a good thing or a bad thing i don't really know i'm just thinking in my you know terms i don't know if that's a good thing you know i don't know if they should be changing rules in the middle of the season but at the same time as i mentioned earlier the aaf didn't even make it to its championship game you know they might really be in the same place to kind of do that you know what i mean where it's like well we got to get to the championship game that we at least got to do that um I don't know if that's going to happen or not. Well, hey, uh, as a long time, both of us being longtime WWE fans, and this is a Vince McMahon creation, <laughs> you know, that goes right into a line with what you're saying, where it's like if something doesn't seem like it's working that they kind of committed to, uh, because they can, they'll seem to just jump in and, and change what they want. So, uh, yeah, to your point, hopefully that's not the case, but, um, it, you know, exactly uh, what you were saying to open up. Uh, what you were just talking about, hey Ed, it's kind of a wait and see situation. You know, it's it's fun to kind of preview and and, and it's going to be interesting to see what they do. But yeah, to me, it's it's kind of um, lackluster. Uh, I'm with the the hype that that you were bringing up. I'm I'm not really hyped about it. It's almost like I'll I'll check it out to check it out. But it, it's one of those things, and I think a lot of the viewers are going to be like this. If it doesn't catch me right away then it's just going to kind of come and go to me. And I think that's what happened the first time. So, you know, again, we'll wait and see, but it doesn't seem like it's anything that's going to suck me in personally. Yeah, I don't I don't really foresee that happening for me too because, you know, uh, like you said, it starts February 8th, so that's a week after the Super Bowl. Um, you're kind of footballed out at that point. Um, and, and you're, you're ready to give up your Sundays, you know, or to regain your Sundays to kind of do other things that you like to do, or at least that's just the way that I usually am after football season's over. Um, you know, you spend a lot of time committed to it. You know what I mean? You follow the Steelers, or at least we follow the Steelers. And then, you know, you want to kind of see the season come to its conclusion if your team's no longer in it. And after that, you kind of like just want to recover. You know what I mean? You kind of want your Sundays to be able to do what you want to do. Maybe go see a movie, maybe hang out, just, you know, get a little bit extra sleep, whatever you'd like to do. It's more, it's like we always say, it's kind of like back to the lazy Sunday thing after football's over because you're just kind of doing what you want to do. Yeah, like uh, I said, it's it, it kind of is an ongoing theme with me with, again, all these mainstream things uh, under the umbrella of, of sports and entertainment uh, mainly that we cover, and that's just that oversaturation factor of just – you know, it's just too much. There's too much everything right now. And, you know, thing, things were so much better looking back on it, you know, with, with the way we grew up when there was only three channels and there was only three TV shows a night and everybody was watching it and could talk about it. Now it's like, man, you bring something up and it's like, well, I, I watch this on Netflix and I watch this on ABC and I watch this on HBO and I watch this on Stars and, you know, it all correlates with this. It's just nuts. And, and I think that's, that's Vince McMahon's idea is that people are just constantly hungry for football in the NFL. Uh, but that, I think that's something that's going to affect this as well because the NFL was kind of losing 
viewers and stuff. And, and of course, that had a lot to do with the politic factor, with everything that happened with the Ka Kaepernick situation and things like that. But they lost a lot of viewers. And it's like, oh, you're trying to ride on the back of the popularity of American football. And meanwhile, it was kind of dwindling. So I don't think the timing of this is that great, you know, on top of everything else that we're talking about. Yeah, and I also think it's kind of interesting, too. Uh, if you remember, I'm sure you do, just like I do. If you remember the first reincarnation of XFL, they yeah. were really playing up the, you know, its association with Vince McMahon and, and the WWF at the time. Yeah, Jim Ross was one of the commentators. It, it, yeah, Jesse, Jesse Ventura was doing games. And, I mean, they were even doing, like, the there's going to be sideline stories and we're going to have players dating cheerleaders and they played all that stuff up, and this time they've completely went the other way. I mean, unless you know specifically about, you know, th this, you know, like Vince McMahon owns them, and, you know, things like that, uh, you wouldn't even know that this has anything to do with it. So, and I think that that's exactly what they're trying to do. They're trying to capture a generation that wasn't around for the original one and kind of just see if people are willing to accept an alternative professional football league. And, uh, I mean, let's just be honest, dude. You know, the original XFL failed. The AAF failed. Back in the day we're going into the 80s, the, the USFL failed. Um, I just don't think that this league has given us anything to believe in that these other leagues didn't do already. You know what I mean? They didn't work out what's their what's going on here that makes it so that we think the XFL is going to be the thing that works? Cause that's the thing that I don't think either one of us truly believe in at the end of the day. Yeah. We'll see if it translates, but I think, you know, we're going to either see if this is just a complete Vince McMahon ego project where it's like, you know, it's one of the only things I filled in and I lost all this money and it's, you know, this scar on my, you know, I was trying to say something as opposed to notch on my belt. It's like this scar on my belt or however you want to put it, you know, or like a knock again, to his legacy, I guess. Right. So, so we'll see if it's that, or if it is something that, that some people might get interested in with, with all these different rules. And, and I did want to bring up because um, I think we did it the right way. Cause there's a, as you said, at the, the start of our show, there's a lot we want to cover this week. So I'm not going to go get into all the specifics, but I basically covered the bullet points between the difference between the XFL and NFL with the five game plan innovations, the five timing changes and the five common sense rules. But any of our listeners uh, interested in the specifics of the breakdown of all of those, uh, uh, you know, easily Google um, XFL or go to XFL.com. They have a breakdown um, specific of all those uh, f those 15 different um, innovations in comparison to the NFL. If you want to check that out, because obviously we don't have the time to go through every single one because they're, you know, there's pretty long explanations of, e of each of those. But, you know, and they're fairly it complicated. It is, it is interesting. Yeah, they're fairly complicated, too. So they have everything for you in video form, which I thought was really cool. Yeah, um, exactly. But also, too, something we should mention, uh, we're going to take a quick break here shortly. Um, and obviously, there's no football this upcoming weekend other than the Pro Bowl, which nobody cares about. And it's that time of year where the WWE... Uh, has one of their marquee events, the Royal Rumble. So we're going to have a gigantic Royal Rumble preview for you guys. Uh, we're going to take a quick break, and when we come back, we're going to talk some Royal Rumble. So we'll be back right after this here on the What's Real podcast. Hi, this is Jared with What's Real, and I have a question for you. What is one thing that you never take off your body, 
but you have it when you are born and when you die. Stumped? The answer is your skin. So that means you should be taking care of your skin. Rodin and Fields makes skincare solutions designed to give you the best skin of your life and the confidence that comes with it. And hey, for the men out there, and this is Jared helping you out, Valentine's Day is right around the corner. So instead of the boring $50 bouquets and chocolates, treat your love to innovative skincare that has been clinically tested to give visible results. Or better yet, treat yourself. Go to www.jennaturpak.myrnf.com or email jennaturpak at gmail.com and become a preferred customer today. In 2017, after years of planning, Churchill Pictures, with the help of Cut and Run Studios, filmed their second full-length feature film here in Pittsburgh's surrounding neighborhoods, such as Braddock, Natrona Heights, and Swissvale. We are Churchill Pictures, established from the bonds of two childhood friends, we envision creating visual content that is completely original, thought-provoking, and most importantly, entertaining. Check us out at churchillpictures.com. And we're back here on the show. And as I said before we went into break, we have for you the Royal Rumble preview. That's right, the WWE Royal Rumble takes place on January 26th on Pay-Per-View and the WWE Network. And it will be live in Houston, Texas at Minute Maid Park, uh, a much bigger uh, facility than they usually go to for the Royal Rumble. Every few years, they tend to go to a bigger building, and this is going to be one of those years. Um, Before we get into the Royal Rumble matches, because obviously there's two of them now, the men's and women's Royal Rumble, we're going to talk a little bit about some of the other matches that are already signed and ready to happen at the show. Of course, we don't know the order of these matches or which matches will make the pay-per-view itself as opposed to the pre-show because they always seem to do that. So let's just get into it. First matchup that I have here is a U.S. title match between Andrade and Humberto Carrillo, who is a guy that I still don't understand why he is on TV. Um, Not that he's a bad wrestler. It's just they kind of plop this guy out of 205 Live and put him on Raw. And ever since then, they've just been doing random things. They gave him a title shot one week against Seth Rollins. Um, Just kind of like shoving this guy down our throats. Um, Doesn't really do much for me. I mean, he's an okay wrestler, just kind of boring. I like Andrade a lot. Um, This does have the makings to be a pretty decent match, but I'm assuming this one's going to get shoved away on the pre-show. Yeah, it seems like that. And, you know, to your point with Humberto, uh, as as long-time since we were kids, uh, followers of the WWE, uh, we're very aware that it's like if Vince McMahon, you know, because it could be the most random guys, but if he has a, a liking to you, um, th- that's where I think this comes from. You know, I feel like Vince McMahon just uh, takes to this guy, so I think that's why it, it's kind of to your point that out of nowhere push. Um, but yeah, I mean, Andrade had a, an amazing ladder match uh, just this past Raw with Rey Mysterio. Uh, that was awesome. Andrade's definitely uh, coming up well, uh, barring any injury. I think he's going to continue to get pushed. Uh, you know, he's kind of in with Charlotte behind the scenes. With with I feel like that that kind of helps his plea because it. it with pro wrestling, there's just that backstage politic factor, no matter how you slice it. Um, so I think he's in a positive bracket with that. But yeah, uh, like you said, at the end of the day, I think this uh, has the the making of being a solid uh, United States Championship match, and I think the match will be very good. Uh, to your point, the placement of it is kind of going to see you know what kind of time it gets uh, as far as it being able to kind of be that 
match that might be able to steal the show. Yeah, I mean, it just depends on whether or not they give it the time and if it's going to get the the proper showcase or not on the show. Uh, My guess is probably not because it is the Rumble. Um, That's not really the show that, uh, you know, kind of showcases really, really good matches. It's You've already gotten two really, really big spotlights that night for both Royal Rumble matches, and those are the selling points of the show. And uh, that's really where the bulk of the time of the show goes. So it wouldn't surprise me at all to see this one on the pre-show at all and kind of being an afterthought. Uh, and with that being said, I think Andrade is most likely just going to keep the title too. Yeah, I feel like he will, too, because I I did just want to bring up in talking about this match, uh, just something cool in in the buildup of it, because uh, this goes back a while that they have been building it up, which is which is cool, especially in modern wrestling. Um, Any any storyline that gets some significant time and has any sort of history to it. Um, Andrade actually put Carrillo out for a few weeks like he was off TV, you know, obviously gimmick wise, but he did his finisher, which is a hammerlock DDT on the concrete. And uh, that was pretty vile looking. Um, I wanted to bring that up because I don't think me and you even talked about that off air, but that was pretty cool when that happened. Yeah, I didn't see the match where that happened, but I did see that they showed like a video package of it. So that was in the video package. So I was like, Jesus Christ. Yeah, it looked Uh, like you got murdered. But, you know, moving on, because we do have a lot of stuff to cover. Uh, Of course, this this is a match that has me shaking my head a little bit, but... uh, Former Chad Gable, now known as Shorty G, is facing basically what what I would frame as uh, 2005 Sheamus because Sheamus has returned and is essentially the same guy that he was when he was feuding with Triple H back in the day. Uh, I don't even know if the year's right, to be honest. I was, it's probably more like 2008 Sheamus. Uh, but, yeah, I don't really care at all. Uh, Sheamus is kind of an afterthought to me. It kind of sucks that Chad Gable's, you know, been pushed into this gimmick um, where it's just himself as a stupid nickname. But, you know, I'll just be perfectly honest. I don't care about this match whatsoever. Yeah, of all the matches that we're probably going to talk about, I mean, honestly, I was looking at the list. I mean, talk about what should be a pre-show match. Um, this is right there uh, by definition. Uh, but, I'm, yeah, I'm with you. Uh, it just seems like Sheamus is returning and going back by WWE's track record on the way they book things. I'm just predicting that, that Sheamus just runs through Shorty G. I mean, there's no other way to put it. They, they were kind of giving him, you know, when they give somebody a fresh coat of paint, if you will, uh, with like you said, it's basically just a nickname. But uh, Chad Gable's just an awesome uh, in-ring guy. But that doesn't always translate, quite obviously, in the WWE world. Um, I just feel like it's one of those things. With Sheamus coming back, I mean, they're not going to have Shorty G upset him. I mean, honestly, it'd be cool talking out loud if he did. But I don't think that's that's the place that they're in with, with these particular performers right now. And, yeah, I just think Sheamus is going to run right through him. And I, I'm right with you i'm not you know i have no real feelings towards towards the matchup you know i just want to mention this as a side note um last summer i went to a a wrestling show in pittsburgh area it was like an independent show and chad gable was there um he didn't wrestle on the show he was just doing autographs and stuff at the beginning and um man i knew he was not a big guy but i did not expect this um Chad Gable's like the size of a child. And I'm not trying to be mean. I'm not even trying to be funny. I could not believe. And we could. Like, I went with a few friends, too. And we were all even talking about it. It It's crazy. You would, like, walk past this guy in a mall. And the last thing you would think that he is is a professional wrestler. And this is also a guy that has 
you know, amateur credentials and everything. I'm he would kick my fucking ass hundred percent. But my God, he is a little man. Very, very small. Uh good pro wrestler though. Um, but like you said, I don't really you know yeah, I don't, hence, I don't hence see the shorty G nickname. It, you know, I don't see this being a big deal for either guy. You know what I mean? Like, Sheamus runs through him, whatever. Shorty G pulls the upset, whatever. It, it's basically irrelevant either way. Um, and like you said, I totally agree, too. Yeah, most likely going to see this one end up on the pre-show. Also, yeah, it's not going uh, to be anything good. No. Uh, speaking of not anything good... Um, a match that I don't want to see at all, that I kind of rolled my eyes at whenever I saw that they were doing it anyway. This, To me, the whole buildup of this feud's been terrible, um, and it really shouldn't be because both of these guys are, you know, where they are in the company and where they are, you know, on the card. Uh, but we're going to have Roman Reigns taking on King Corbin in a Falls Count Anywhere match, um, in a match that I'm pretty sure will get on the pay-per-view. And a match that I can honestly say that I, I don't care. I don't care who wins. I don't care if it's good. Just can we move along here? Yeah, and that's the thing with the King, King Corbin character. It's it's he's the classic kind of WWE character that he's good, decent, and good, solid in ring for a big guy. That sort of thing. Like at least he has some sort of character and gimmick, but. When he comes on, it's just nothing that makes me sit up or anything. And in contrast, Roman Reigns is just, uh, again, I go back to the oversaturation thing. It's it's just like he's just such a consistent performer. Um, he was the workhorse leading up to his leukemia announcement. Then he took some time off. That kind of made me more interested in him. His comeback was cool, but then you just get back right into that WWE grind, and he's just in the main event of SmackDown every week and that whole thing, and these guys have been feuding for forever. Uh, so, yeah, to your point, um, you know, not to, to shit on their feud, but I'm going to shit on their feud. <laughs> it's yeah. Just, to, to your point, it's just over, you know, it's just underwhelming and um, – you know, uh, at least they slap the fail, false count anywhere gimmick onto it because it, at least that gives them some some room to to do some spots that I think if it was just a, another one on one match, which is obviously why they're doing a gimmick match, I, I would really be rolling my eyes to your point. But um, you know, maybe they could do some cool stuff and make it somewhat entertaining. But um, yeah, in the the grand scheme of it, it's another one that um, I'm kind of just very lackluster towards. Also, we have two women's titles match. Uh, first up is going to be Bailey defending her SmackDown women's title against Lacey Evans, who has now moved over to the babyface side of things. It's kind of weird uh, just thinking, you know, I don't know, like six months ago uh, about a Bailey versus Lacey Evans match where Bailey's the heel and Lacey Evans is the babyface, um, which I think is kind of a mistake. I mean, I don't hate Bailey as a heel. But I don't, I don't think Lacey Evans is a good babyface at all. I think she plays a great heel, and it's kind of, you know, it's probably going to hurt her if anything uh, to have to do this. Uh, I don't think she's going to beat Bailey for the women's championship either. Um, so, I mean, I, I do think that this one could be a very good match, and it might surprise a few people. But to be perfectly honest with you, I just see this one as being filler, um, and probably they'll get five, six minutes, and before you know it, this one will be over. Yeah, I agree. You know, to your point, Evans' face turn just hasn't made complete sense. Um, you know, it didn't fit a character that she had been developing for months. Like, was the main thing, and like you said, like she was 
one of the rare people nowadays that was getting legitimate heat. Like, you know, people just did not like her from what she was doing as a heel. So I don't know why they changed that. Um, and also to your point, I'm, I'm in agreement with you for Bailey's heel turn. Wasn't, wasn't too bad. I like the way they did it. I, I think uh, again, it, it goes back to Lacey Evans face turn kind of throwing this whole thing off. Um, but I, I did kind of like what they did with Bailey and Sasha tormenting Evans, uh, real life daughter, like her young daughter. Um, that I was kind of cool. cool. So, yeah. So maybe, maybe if they do something with that to add some extra spice to the match, like maybe adding the daughter to be involved somehow or something like that, they can, they can add some story to it. But, but yeah, other than that, um, yeah, I think it's kind of weird that they did this with Lacey Evans more than anything, but uh, to your point, both of them are very capable in ring, which is kind of a, a constant when, when I talk about the, the WWE, um, I always say the, the roster has never been their problem. It's, it's the booking and storylines more than anything that is the negatives, uh, which is, kind of predominant over 10 15 minute matches but um yeah to your point this is kind of just like a, a filler match for the smackdown women's title would you do you think they're going to switch here or no um no i think bailey keeps it yeah i think that makes more sense especially going into mania i don't think um, there's enough story for for it to be a title change but you know you never know and we were kind of talking about that with Wrestle Kingdom with the bigger shows nowadays. It seems like um, just more in modern wrestling, they, they do do a decent amount of, of title changes. But that varies as well from pay-per-view to pay-per-view. But, but yeah, I think Bailey keeps. And also the other women's title matchup, the Raw women's title is on the line as Becky, uh, the man herself, defends against the one woman she has seemingly never been able to beat, and that is Asuka. Um, obviously, I think this is a really cool matchup. It can be really good. It probably be w- would be pretty good. Um, but obviously, common sense tells you that Becky's going to keep this, especially with the rumors going around for WrestleMania where you know she could be facing Ronda Rousey. She could possibly be facing Shayna Baszler. Um, but it doesn't make a whole lot of sense for Becky to drop the title of Asuka, who is currently one half of the, uh, you know, the women's tag team champion champions with, uh, Kyrie Sane. Um, you know, I think this is just an excuse to kind of have a good match on the card. They have a built in story, you know, built up from last year already. Um, both of them are very capable. So this could be a very good match. Um, so outside of it being a good match, um, I really don't see a whole lot here unless they want to, you know, further do some storyline, which is what I think we might see. Um, but yeah, I mean, it, it very well could be the type of thing, too, where we see Asuka get the title because the person who Becky is facing at Mania essentially interferes in the match. Um, so it all just depends on what they're going to do for this one. But just honestly, everything in my heart tells me that Becky's going to end up keeping the belt after this match. Yeah, I'm really looking forward to it as a match, for sure. I think so too. I think it'll be really good. They they the matches that they've had in the past have all been really good, and they they're they match up well together. And I I just think that Oscar is so good that she can wrestle anybody in the company, and it also helps that Becky's pretty good too. So it should be a really yeah. good match. Yeah, and I agree with you. I think. Um... The way everything set it up, uh, especially by wrestling logic based off of this past Raw where um, Asuka had pretty much, you know, got the upper hand on Becky, um, you know, that kind of usually leads towards Becky definitely going over. So I'm with you. I think Becky Lynch retains in this one. 
and I kind of wanted to throw in this caveat too, man. Uh, I have not liked a lot of stuff that I've seen on WWE TV in the last couple months. I've just really not been too into it. We've talked about this off air. Uh, but one thing that I have really been enjoying as kind of a standalone is the Kabuki Warriors. Um, they're fucking awesome. They're actually doing stuff with them. They're on TV like weekly. Um, I love the the little changes they've kind of given to Kyrie Sane's gimmick and to Oscar's gimmick. I love that she does like the the green mist and shit now. That stuff's awesome. I'm totally down for that. And it's it's crazy too because I think that. Uh, you know, Asuka was so good at uh, coming out of NXT. Like, she had that undefeated streak and everything. And they've done a lot of mediocre stuff with her. But I think that Asuka does more with less than almost anybody that they have now. Yeah, I agree. I mean, I, I think that um, when, when they did under end the undefeated streak, uh, I, I, at the time, thought the timing was weird. But um, like we were saying earlier with some other stuff, I mean, nothing lasts forever. It's going to end eventually. I, and then after that, I was kind of worried that she was kind of get going to get lost in the shuffle. Her booking wasn't great. And to see where she's at now is definitely a good sign. You know, to your point, she can wrestle any of the, the women, uh, put great matches on with, with most of them, if not all of them. I definitely like what they're doing with the Kabuki Warriors. So, you know, I mean, she's in a decent spot where she at least still has a belt. She at least still gets that TV time. So, yeah, hopefully that continues because I think Asuka is one of the top women talent uh, hands down. Yeah, I think she's one of the most talented people in the company, period. Men or yeah. women. Um, I agree. And also, uh, this is what I would consider to be the main match of the, you know, the undercard, so to speak. And that is the universal title match, which is a strap match between The Fiend, Bray Wyatt, and Daniel Bryan. Um, don't really care about this feud. Uh, the one thing that makes me care about it is Daniel Bryan's always great. Um, I do find the Fiend character to be interesting and annoying at the same time, if that makes sense. Um, I would love to see a title change here because, like I said, I'm a huge Daniel Bryan fan. But it just does not make sense to me that they would change the title going into Mania and putting it on Daniel Bryan. Um, although I've heard so many weird things for Mania as far as these guys go. Like, I literally heard, the last thing that I heard about Mania is for the Universal title, there's going to be a three-way between Daniel Bryan, The Fiend, and Roman Reigns. Don't know if I believe that, but, I mean, it, just everything that we've been seeing, it doesn't make a whole lot of sense for them to take the title off Bray Wyatt at this point. Um, also, is this going to be a match where the fiend shows up or, you know, where they wrestle under the red light, or is this going to be a match where Bray Wyatt shows up in his sweater and it's, you know, who knows? Um, I don't think this match is going to be, uh, you know, some amazing contest. They're doing a strap match that kind of limits what they could do in the ring anyway. And I'm not one that thinks that Bray Wyatt is all that great anyways. He's serviceable. He's nowhere near on the level of a Daniel Bryan in the ring. Um, so it's just kind of a frustrating match for someone like me. Like, I love Daniel Bryan. I don't really care about Bray Wyatt. And I don't think they're going to switch the title. And on top of that, it's a strap match. So it, it there's a lot of conflicting things there that make me less than excited about this match. Yeah, and I think that's the biggest conflicting thing about the modern WWE is that when you have... 
the very over the top and in this case you know call it quote-unquote supernatural type character in the fiend bray wyatt because back in the day when everybody was over the top you know bob Backlund, for example was like his gimmick was just being a straight-up wrestler guy now you have that mix of like you know the seth rollins and the daniel bryans and the aj styles like these you know kind of more wrestler than gimmick, you know, not as over the top like that kind of guys. And then when they contrast with the over the top characters that there are still prevalent in the WWE, it's it's just it's just a weird contrast, you know. And, and that's the case in this match when you have Daniel Bryan and the Fiend Bray Wyatt. And I like some of the buildup of it. Um, you know, Daniel Bryan. You know, it's kind of cha- saying in the, the promos leading up to it with the feud that the Fiend changed him. So now I'm going to change the Fiend and all that. So it, it's not like the worst thing um, that they've done. But uh, on the other side of that, to your point, it's it's not something that I'm like ch- chomping at the bits to see. And then on top of it, like you said, I mean, the strap match gimmick, I feel just gives Bray Wyatt a favor to then to go toe to toe for Daniel Bryan in a traditional match. So I see why they're doing it, but yeah, it does nothing for me. I'm, I, you know, I think this is just going to be, uh, again, one of those traditional in the modern age kind of just weird contrast, just goofy gimmick matches that that's going to have run-ins and be overbooked. Uh, that's now how I'm me, seeing it. Now let me throw something out here, though. I'm just, I'm just thinking out loud here, and I'm I, maybe I'm trying to make the match a little bit more interesting. Um, you know that I mean it doesn't take a genius to figure this out, but you know that they probably don't want Bray Wyatt taking a pinfall or something, right? Like, I mean, I think that's a safe assumption to make right now. Right. Okay. So, do you think that the fact that it's a strap match? Now, I'm assuming that this is now. Of course, this could be totally different on Sunday when we watch the Rumble, but uh, I'm I'm assuming that this is your typical strap match where you know the strap could be used as a weapon, and you have to essentially drag your opponent to all four corners, touch the corners, and when you do, you win. Would you agree? I would assume so, but it goes into when we were talking about the XFL and like correlating that with yeah, you never know. You know, it's like uh, to your point. Yeah, I would assume that. Okay, so let's let's just say for conversation's sake that those assumptions are correct, right? Would you think there's more of a possibility that Daniel Bryan wins the Universal Title because he can do so without having to pin Bray Wyatt? Right. Yeah, in like a weird way. I mean, that's that's what this kind of opens up. Um, that's a great point. So yeah, I mean, we got to wait and see, but yeah, that's a good point. Where because of the gimmick, that that kind of gives him uh, an opportunity to win without the pin. Exactly. So you never know. Um, it could be interesting, even though I don't really think that it will be. I think we're, we're, you know, us going on the side of caution with this one is probably the best way to look at it. Um, but let's keep moving. Let's get into the bread and butter, the meat and potatoes of the Royal Rumble, if you will. Let's start out with the women. This is pretty weird because um, I was looking this up, uh, you know, because I knew we were going to talk about this on the show. And, uh, and I'm sure you've also noticed exactly what I'm about to say here, the Jay. But in the, we'll start with the Women's Royal Rumble. Uh, now, correct me if I'm wrong, in the past they, they've had 20, right? They've never done 30 women. Correct. Okay. So this year, and we are approximately... 
uh, a little over how many days until the Rumble here? What? We're, we're less than a week. Well, we'll say we're, we're less than a week away from the Rumble, okay? And there's only been four women announced. And it's very weird how they did it. So Charlotte has been announced. She was announced on SmackDown. Uh, Nikki Cross was also announced on SmackDown. Alexa Bliss, that was announced on SmackDown. And Sarah Logan, who apparently announced it on her own Twitter. And that's it. They have not announced any other women in the Royal Rumble match this year. Four. Yeah, it's pretty strange. Um, There could be some behind-the-scenes reasons for that where... They're trying to accumulate exactly which women they're using because, um, you know, uh, they have a lot more women nowadays. But still, I think it contrasts uh, to the men like the men have always an overabundance on the roster. And again, I think it's comparable, but nonetheless, I I think there's less women on the roster. So maybe that has something to do with it, that they honestly just aren't sure exactly the direction they're taking, which to your point, I mean, we're, you know, from when we record this podcast, we're literally four days from the the actual event. So, um, but you know, in, in the grand scheme of things, I honestly don't mind that because that at least gives me, some more interest in the match just to see which women are exactly going to be involved. Cause I know the men's one, they uh, announced the majority of them. I think they announced what roughly like 22 of yep. the 30 or something like that. So, um, you know, at, le- at least the, the women's rumble is a little bit different where, um, yeah, it's kind of weird that they only introduced four women, but, uh, it makes it interesting to see who exactly is going to be involved. So I'll, I'll take that. Yeah, I mean, the thing is now, okay, let's let's armchair quarterback this the best way that we can. Um, I'm going to go with safe bets here. I'm not going to try and, you know, forecast anything crazy. Um, I think it's a safe bet to say that Natalia will be in this. Uh, Carmella will probably be in this. Um... I'm gonna, I'm just gonna say that Kyrie Sane will be in this because she doesn't have anything else on the card, and because of that, I'm also gonna say that Oscar would be in this because I could see Oscar working twice. Um, yeah, I mean, it's again, it's tough to say. It really is. Will we see Shayna Baszler? Uh, you know, she she was in it last year, so I mean, I think that's a safe bet to say that she'd probably be in it again. Right. What, what it's going to be interesting to see what women from NXT, if any, will be involved, and I'm sure there will be, but. And then again, with the unannouncement, you don't know. That immediately makes me think that uh, Bianca Belair will be in it because she was in it previously. Uh, Rhea Ripley will be in it because she's the NXT Women's Champion. That makes sense. I'm just going with uh, what we've seen in previous years, too. You know what I mean? Like, I I don't think anything that I'm saying right now is that far of a reach. Um, Will we see somebody like Lita or Trish Stratus or Tori Wilson? My guess is yes, uh, because they tend to do you know some surprises, maybe a Kelly Kelly, something like that. Uh, I don't expect all of them, if that makes sense. I, I just you know because there's gonna they're gonna have those surprise slots. Maybe we're gonna see Nia Jax return. I think that's also possible. I don't know how much further she would be out for injury uh, from when she got hurt. I don't. I honestly don't remember. I I don't even remember what happened. I just know that she got hurt. Um, you know, yeah, will we see Ronda Rousey surgery? Is there anyone else that you can think of? Like, I mean, obviously, you know, uh, Liv, maybe Ronda Rousey. 
Yeah, I mean that kind of covers it. Um, you know, like I said, it's tougher with the women, and and I think that has something to do with why they only confirmed four entrants because they're, you know, even though it's close to the show. I mean, the WWE is known for that because they're just a constant machine. You know, they're probably still kind of figuring out exactly how they're going to put the match together and who's going to be involved. So, and uh, do you to have me that makes it interesting? Do you have a front runner or somebody you think guys uh, can actually pull out the W for this one? I mean, it's hard not to say Charlotte, but, you know, you're obviously setting up WrestleMania, and without having any more than the four announced, it's definitely very tough to say this year. And, and again, that's what makes it interesting to me more than anything. As far as a winner goes, um, I, I, I would just, you know, if we're picking predictions, that sort of thing on the pod, for the fun of it, I, I would just go with Charlotte. Okay. I, I, you know what? I think I'm going to go out a little bit out of left field here, and and I'll tell you why I'm thinking this way. I'm going to go with Shayna Baszler, and the reason why is because I know that they're high on her. Um, they there there's been rumors that they are going to bring her to the main roster now for some time. Um, she just lost the NXT Women's Championship not too long ago to Rhea Ripley, so I think they moved on there. And I've heard a lot of rumors that. The matchup they want to do at Mania is Shayna Baszler and uh, Becky Lynch. So I'm just going to say that Shayna wins and goes to Mania and faces Becky Lynch. But that's just a total guess. Yeah, um, I like it. Good, good. Yeah, good prediction. And I and I think yours is pretty solid too because honestly, if if you know if I wasn't going for something like that, I think Charlotte's about as safe as a pick as you. Yeah, because I'm thinking. I'm, yeah, I'm thinking if if Charlotte does win, it's not like they're going to do another. Charlotte Becky match, which has happened a million times, but maybe, you know, have Charlotte win the Rumble. Um, something happens in the storylines with Becky losing it between then to who Charlotte will face, you know, that sort of thing. So, and, you know, I'm just throwing this completely out of left field here, but, um, you know, there may be a possibility that by Mania we see new women's tag team champions, and then we could see something like maybe uh, Bailey. And uh, Sasha, you know, wrestling Charlotte and somebody for the tag championships. You know what I mean? I think that's a very strong possibility because, you know, they like to do as many multi-person matches as they can at Mania to get everybody on that card. So, And that's an easy way to get, you know, or they could just, you know, have like four or five tag teams in there. You know, you could see like the Iconics and, you know, Bailey and, and Sasha and then, you know what I mean? They might just try and, uh, you know, the Kabuki Warriors, and that's how they get oh, them for on sure. Mania. And, you know. With all the other matches going on, not that there's not a, a lot of other women's matches, but nonetheless, you know, four of the main women are, are tied up in the championship matches with Becky Lynch, Asuka, Bailey, and, and Lacey Evans involved in those matches. So that's even four less females. Um, and, it, you know, it gets tough to find 30 solid wrestlers to, to be involved in it that, like, you know, are legitimate stars even obviously in the mid card range um you know especially with the women so so again uh yeah that's that's an interesting point and and i go back to that with this match in particular where uh, i'm interested to see what route they take and, and everybody that that is going to be involved in it and now let's get into the men's royal rumble as you mentioned earlier there are 22 participants that have already been named so i'm going to run down a list for you we have samoa joe Kevin Owens, Seth Rollins, Shinsuke Nakamura, Braun Strowman, Buddy Murphy, Aleister Black, Lashley, Rusev, Otis and Tucker, 
Dolph Ziggler, King Corbin, Elias, Drew McIntyre, Ricochet, Rey Mysterio, Eric Rowan, Randy Orton, AJ Styles, Brock Lesnar, and Roman Reigns. So that leaves eight slots open for that match as well. Um, I think, because uh, I was thinking about this too, uh, the two slots that I see being taken up by NXT people this year, I'm going to go with Keith Lee and Matt Riddle are going to be the two that we see uh, show up at the Royal Rumble. And I do believe that there is a strong possibility that not only do we see them at the Rumble and in the Rumble match, but we're going to see both of those guys on the main roster from this point forward too. Yeah, I agree. Um, Keith Lee is, is highly over as well as Matt Riddle. And on a personal note, uh, I'm really high on both of those wrestlers as well. Um, They already kind of set, a storyline for the Royal Rumble this year with current champion Brock Lesnar entering himself as number one. Um, you know, so they're going to kind of build around that to, to kind of make a story towards the Rumble as they always do. And and, and that's the thing. Just, I, I like to sprinkle my personal, as, as you always use the word, caveats onto things when I get the opportunity. But I actually started watching wrestling, which was kind of weird because I know you and a lot of our friends began as, as really small kids with the Hulk Hogan era and the WrestleManias. And I weirdly got into it somewhat later than you guys in sixth grade, which um, in turn was specifically for us, 1992. And that was the 92 rumble where Ric Flair won it um, as the first, one of the first participants. And that one was for the title. And that's known to be a lot of people's favorite rumble of all time. So that's, basically like the one event that really sucked me in to become a lifelong pro wrestling fan. Um, so I have a, a, a soft part, soft part of my heart for the Royal rumble. And one of the best things about it is how they storyline the rumble match as a whole for it being an hour, hour plus full match. And they never, they never really d- disappoint, you know, going back and watching rumbles, uh, you can end up fasting forward through parts and things like that per se. But, when you're watching it live, man, like they they really haven't dropped the the ball in a Royal Rumble, in my opinion, since its incarnation. So I'm interested to see how they work around that. Brock Lesnar as the champ entering number one because I you know I think there's going to be something to that. And um, yeah, it's going to be really interesting to see what NXT stars, what um, you know old time old school WWE guys. There there were teasing Booker T's like training, and he he put up a Twitter like hashtag Rumble ready. So so yeah, the Rumble is something I always look forward to, and, and that's obviously definitely the the main sell of the pay per view um, every year. So and and also we, we would be remiss to to say how this kicks off the the classic quote unquote road to WrestleMania, which is normally the the best WWE programming overall from from January to to when Mania does occur. Yeah, and uh, you know as we mentioned earlier too, there's still eight slots open. Uh, like we mentioned as well, uh, there's probably about two of those slots that are going to be filled by NXT guys, I would think, maybe three slots. So you have anywhere from five or six slots that you have no idea what to expect. Um, There have been some names that have been branded about for the last few months. Nobody really knows at this point what the WrestleMania plans are. Um, So obviously you could see Triple H show up. 
I think that's a very strong possibility because Triple H tends to have a match at Mania every year. There has been no sign of that so far, so I think a way to get him locked up into everything is to have him in the Royal Rumble match. So I think that that could be a surprise that's very, uh, a very strong possibility. Um, I also think yeah. Goldberg could be a possibility here, too, because that, uh, that's a name that's been brought up uh, somewhat recently as well. I could see Goldberg obviously showing up for Mania to do it. Um, another one that I think is less likely but is always still likely is The Rock. Uh, that's a name that we've heard branded about, but I think at this point if they were going to do The Rock, they would have already announced it um, in some way, shape, or form. Uh, before they did it this way. But I do think it is a possibility, but I do think it's also a long shot. Yeah, because that, that brings up a side note for me that I wanted to bring up If because um, we haven't even talked about it off air. I don't know if you follow that show on Fox Sports WWE backstage at all. I do watch it occasionally, yeah. That's what, that's what I do. I watch the first one, and I, I DVR it, and I'll catch it here and there. Uh, but I did catch the most recent one, and it was one of the ones where CM Punk made an appearance. I do like and it better when he's on it. I agree. Yeah, it's just so surreal to see him just straight up. you know. And he doesn't talk shit to talk shit. Like He, he kind of talks like how we're talking. He, yep. he says his honest opinion completely unfiltered. Yep. And it, but it's just crazy to see, you know, because he like even says like he was breaking down the tag teams this week, and he's like, you know, because a certain person does, isn't into tag team wrestling, you know, talking just straight up about Vince McMahon on his programming, even though, you know, that's their partnership with Fox Sports, which is why CM Punk is on that and, and no other WWE programming. Uh, but he did uh, sarcastically say how like the deal – is is getting made he's like you know they wanted 28 i want 30 uh he was making some jokes so i i i think 99 percent he isn't going to be a royal rumble participant but there is that one percent chance as they always say in wrestling and in the wwe um when it's a really big surprise they are really good at you know, keeping everybody at bay and, and legitimately surprising everybody. Although the the modern age and the internet and social media and all that stuff that goes with it, it's very tough to do. But um, you know, don't count that out, man. Because as they say, never say never in pro wrestling. And I, I can see him kidding about it on the backstage, being like a kind of you know adding to like, oh well, then he's not doing it if he's being sarcastic about being signed. So. Who knows, man? It'd be interesting. I, I do think there is a possibility, although I don't think it's going to happen. Uh, I'm with you there. Um, you know, there is a bit of a possibility that it can happen. Um, also, another name that I, I heard, I kind of hope this one's not true, um, but I've heard that he's been trying to get cleared for some time, and there is rumors that he has been cleared. Uh, Edge could be making a return, even though I yeah, really, yeah, really I've, hope I've heard that's those, not those true. rumors as well. I, I, I yeah, hope that's not the case, man. Yeah, I, I highly. That's another one I highly doubt. Um, he's, you know, supposedly he's really enjoying acting, and he's been doing pretty good uh, on on Vikings, which is a show I watch. Uh, so I highly doubt that, but I did hear that rumor as well. So it's it's definitely always fun to see exactly who who shows up in in the Rumble. And another couple that I have here too, uh, he's been out with injury, and I haven't heard anything in in quite some time. But we could see Velveteen Dream possibly make an appearance. Um, and also, yeah, because he was one of my favorites in NXT, as you know, Hey Ed, and he kind of disappeared, which usually is the case with injury, because I know he got put out in the storyline. But you know, in 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 wrestling, because we always talk about like pro wrestling time, especially the WWE with it being a machine. I think he's only been gone since since what like October, but it feels like forever. Yeah, it absolutely so. does. 
And the yeah. the last uh, one that I said that I'm going to say, uh, because I think it's always a possibility, even though it's unlikely, is uh, John Cena. Yeah, definitely always a possibility, man. He's always in shape, always ring ready, and um, he's Mr. WWE. So uh, that honestly wouldn't, you know, it'd be that double-edged sword of surprising me in a way, but, you know, it wouldn't surprise me. So do you have a potential winner in mind? Dude, that, that's why, like, I think that's the, the best thing maybe about this year's is I have no idea. Because I was thinking about that for the podcast, like, who's going to be my pick? Yep. And it, it's just so tough to say. Like, I'm, I'm hoping that they give Lesnar, like, a new opponent. But then you think, man, with main eventing WrestleMania against Lesnar, they have to have a major guy. So I, they teased a little bit of him and Ricochet this week on Raw. And he just like, you know, beat the shit out of him. Mm-hmm. And that match hasn't happened yet. And, and Ricochet, you know, I don't know if he's main event status yet, but the fact that they have the SmackDown belt to do two, so that could possibly main event the entire Mania card. And then for the Raw belt, have Lesnar in a kind of lesser guy. So I'll go ahead and, and go on a limb there and go with Ricochet. See, I, there's a couple that are sticking out to me this year. Um, I think that for some reason, and I, this is nothing more than a hunch and just kind of what I've seen on TV somewhat recently, uh, but Drew McIntyre is like a dark horse that I have for some reason. Um, yeah, it's a good call. But the, the, you know who I'm really pointing to because I think it just makes the most sense and like why would they do this in the first place otherwise is Brock. Brock Strowman? Brock. It's Brock. Brock winning it. Yep. And then, see, like, I'm just saying hypothetically because one one of the rumors that I've heard for Mania for him is Tyson Fury. So what about this? Brock wins, so he has his choice of opponent, but he already has the title, and he calls out Tyson Fury. Like, hey, that's who I want to fucking wrestle at WrestleMania. Like... And then they're going to do the big thing where does Tyson Fury accept the challenge? And I'm sure he'll probably do something like go on ESPN. You know, he'll be on like first take or something and be like, yeah, I, I accept the challenge. They're going to build it up like it's a legitimate contest. Like Brock puts out this, cha- like they're not going to run across each other backstage. Brock's going to put a challenge out. You know, it's going to sit out there for a couple weeks. He's going to talk his shit. And then, like, you know, Tyson Fury's going to go on TV on something. He'll make an appearance. He'll be on Raw something. And he'll be like, yo, yeah, I'm going to fuck you up at Mania. Um, even though I don't give a shit about that whatsoever, um, I think that would be a giant waste of not only Brock Lesnar, but valuable time on WrestleMania. But, you know, they like to do the celebrity. They like to do the, the big to-do for WrestleMania. And I think that, Yeah, it's you know, the mass media appeal factor it, that you have to consider. So, yep. yeah, that's that's a cool aspect, man. So Yeah, we shall see. I don't know. I'd much rather, I think, see Drew McIntyre win it, 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 you know, if I'm just being honest. But, you know, but that's it, man. That's the, uh, the Royal Rumble preview. Hope you guys enjoyed that as much as we enjoyed running everything down for you. Um, we do have a few more notes for wrestling before we take another quick break. Um, and one other thing, too, that's non-wrestling that we're going to talk about. I'll try and get through these as quick as possible. I wanted to mention to everybody out there that has the WWE Network. Uh, and if you guys are old school fans like us, they have added more episodes of WWF Primetime Wrestling from 1989. Uh, that'll take you through the SummerSlam 89 build and a little bit after 
Um, so I thought that was pretty cool. I'm pretty excited about that. I usually try and watch the primetime wrestling stuff on there. So, you know, I'm, I'm pretty excited myself. And that, that was a pretty good era. Yeah, that's another complete nostalgia thing. Yeah, from when we were kids, man, used to love primetime wrestling. Yeah. And uh, speaking of nostalgia, um, you guys, we were talking about CM Punk earlier. Uh, if you guys remember his run in the WWE, like when he, you know, as champion and stuff like that, one of the things he brought up is he wanted to bring back WWE ice cream bars. Well, that's actually happening now. It's being done a little bit differently than it was the first time around. Uh, there's no stick. It's basically just like a sandwich or something like that. But I'll be damned yeah, if it doesn't look sandwiches. like, you know, it, it looks exactly like the old ice cream sandwich with the wrestler on it. And it has like the same kind of cookie fucking out cover or whatever the hell you want to call it. Uh, but you know, uh, if I see one of these, I will definitely get one just for old school sake, because I used to get those fucking things all the time. Yeah. My son's a big wrestling fan, even at six and, uh, you know, he'll go nuts for these. So, uh, did you see, cause I was, I was looking, did you happen to see what their release date is? Cause it didn't, I, I couldn't find it. No. With, um, the article I had on the Nerdist. No, I was kind of curious about that myself uh, because, you know, the the article that we saw basically announced the return of them, but it didn't say anything specifically about where to get them, when they'll be available or anything. If I had to take a, a guess, I'm going to say they'll probably be available sometime this summer. Uh, but, you know, that's not that's just me thinking out loud. There's no confirmation. I have no dates, no anything that I've heard other than that they are coming back. Yeah, because uh, th- those listeners that are not too big wrestling fans that are sticking with us, um, there's been outcry from wrestling fans for years to bring back the the frozen um, ice cream sandwiches of the WWF from back in the day for years. So it, it's like a, a weird big deal to us nostalgic wrestling fans. So it's pretty funny that they're actually finally doing it. Yeah, and it, if you guys remember, you know, we'll date ourselves a little bit, but when we were kids, you know, there used to be a van that would drive around that was like the ice cream man, but it was good humor, and good humor actually sold the, the wrestling ice cream bars. So And they always had them too, which is crazy. Uh, but yeah, everybody's been kind of uh, wanting to relive their childhood through ice cream and the WWE, and it looks like they're going to get that chance again real soon. So that's pretty cool. And uh, on a sad note, too, uh, The Rock, we mentioned earlier on the program, well, his dad, former professional wrestler Rocky Johnson, passed away at age 75, and it was announced that he had a massive heart attack and passed away. Uh, obviously, our condolences uh, to the the whole family and everything, and you know, uh, wrestling fans everywhere, uh, especially old school wrestling fans. When we remember Rocky Johnson, uh, who was a massive, massive mountain of a dude, and he was one half of the very first African American tag team champions in WWF history, with Tony Atlas, known as the Soul Patrol. So. Uh, just figured that uh, was worth mentioning on the show as well. So rest in peace to Rocky Johnson. Yeah, rest in power, man. He he was a little bit of ahead of our time, but um, you know I've seen a couple of his matches here and there on the network and things, and checked him out. And uh, yeah, he was he was big time for his time, mainly in the in the seventies into the eighties. And uh, again, personal quick story. Um, I had a a brief tryout from 
back in the day, I uh, was a, an independent wrestler in, in the Pittsburgh area and was invited to a, a tryout in WWE's developmental territory at the time, Ohio Valley Wrestling. And Rocky Johnson was actually one of the trainers and, and had a job there at the time. So I got to spend uh, some time with him throughout the week that I was there. And he was a really cool guy. Um, so, you know, just a personal story because uh, that meant a lot to me, obviously. And then, you know, seeing the rock blow up and, and kind of having that two degrees of separation from from the rock who i'm a humongous fan of is pretty cool to have met his dad and actually spent some time with him and, and he was a great dude so yeah like you said uh from the the what's real podcast uh much condolences and rest in power to rocky johnson and uh one other thing too that uh you know was worth mentioning on the show here uh it's not going to take much time to talk about it because well it there wasn't a whole lot of time that went through in this fight uh but there was a huge ufc fight uh, last weekend between Cowboy Donald Cerrone and the loudmouth Irishman himself, Conor McGregor, and the fight lasted about 40 seconds. And Conor McGregor yeah. won that one handily, uh, which sucks because I can't stand McGregor, but I figure we talked about it on a previous episode, so it would be worth at least uh, talking a little bit about the uh, the outcome there. Yeah, I mean, he just looked really good coming in. Um the the big contention for him was like a lot of people talked about the the mental factor of where he was at you know number one he's coming off a big loss uh, against um you know the the strong russian um khabib and uh he took so many years off i mean i think it was what a little over two years between fights and he's a multi multi-millionaire you know he's worth like a hundred some thousand a hundred some thousand a hundred million some dollars between you know stemming off of his um boxing exhibition against floyd mayweather and carrying on into a very successful international whiskey company so the bottom line is people were wondering where his mental state was as far as how hungry he still would be because cowboy has the most wins in ufc history so he's no slouch uh he's he's you know on the downslope of being in his prime and all that uh but nonetheless no slouch and and yeah i mean he looked great man he looked like a juggernaut he came out right away um you know what i saw was was those you know they were kind of clenched up and connor was throwing these nasty shoulders into cowboy's face which uh actually ended up breaking his his nose and and giving him uh you know a bit of an orbital fracture i believe and, and that that led into the knockout uh like ed said um, in, in 40 some seconds. So, uh, you know, he's looking good again and that's all it takes in the UFC to, from people going, you know, we'll see what happens with Connor to like now everybody being pumped up and talking about a Khabib rematch or maybe, a, a um, I always mispronounce his name, uh, Gasfidal. Yeah. Yeah. I know who you're talking you know, the, about the baddest I, motherfucker belt. Yep. And there are, there's also Masvidal. been, uh, some mentioning too, that, uh, you know, Conor McGregor is campaigning for a rematch against Floyd Mayweather, too, in the boxing world. Right. Floyd Mayweather was thrown out there, and then to end the trilogy with Nate Diaz, possibly, because those were great fights, and um, they're one and one there. It'd be the rubber match. So uh, now with this big win for Conor, there's a lot of options, which, uh, you know, I'm a big MMA fan. I'm, I'm more of a casual fan now uh, than I used to be back in the prime of it because, you know, again, with the oversaturation and there's not as many high-end stars as there used to be, but there, there's still enough to keep my interest. And, and with this uh, win from Connor, it makes it that much more interesting for the possible matchup. So, uh, you know, I'll take it, man. It was, it was um, you know, a cool fight to see. And, and I'm a big Cowboy fan as well. So, um, 
you know, literal pun intended hats off to the Cowboy, Cowboy hat off um, for a great career uh, to a big loss, but, um, you know, a huge win for Connor. Absolutely. So what do you say, man? Because this has been probably the longest segment we've ever done here on the show this far. Uh, <laughs> Marathon. If you're still with us, people, we love Yep, you. and we got some really cool stuff uh, coming up after the break, guys. We're going to talk a little bit about, uh, well, not a little bit. We're going to talk about the whole thing. Uh, the Killer Inside, Aaron Hernandez, the new series from Netflix. We're going to talk about the uh, ABC 2020 special that they did last week on Richard Pryor. And we're going to talk some movies. Quentin Tarantino, uh, another follow-up to our physical media stuff that we talked about on last week's show, some music stuff, and much, much more. So stay with us, guys. We'll be back right after this on the What's Real podcast. Would you like to advertise on the What's Real podcast? Email us at whatsrealpod at gmail.com and title your email advertisements. That's whatsrealpod at gmail.com. Hey guys, Jared with What's Real Podcast, talking about churchillpictures.com, the brand new rebuilt website from independent production company, Churchill Pictures. Churchill Pictures LLC is Damiano Fusca, Jared Bajoris, and our team. We would proudly like to announce the relaunch of our official CP website, www.churchillpictures.com. We have been working long and hard with our website creator, Evan, dating back to nearly a year ago. Due to other priorities, our website had become very outdated and was in desperate need of being revamped and completely rehauled. The new website will act as our personal online art gallery of all our work. This will include uh, also work of contributing collaborators. We get, began CP in 2008 and have since created two feature films and numerous other projects, most of which can be viewed on the site. Check it out, www.churchillpictures.com. Churchill Pictures, picture the possibilities. And we're back here on the show. Thanks for sticking with us. Hope you guys are enjoying this week's episode, but let's get right into it. We were talking about this last week on the show, and uh, you know we figured this is going to be a hot-button topic for a lot of people, and that's the new Netflix three-part series, The Killer Inside, Aaron Hernandez, all about the uh, convicted murderer, former tight end of the New England Patriots, Aaron Hernandez. And, um, you know, it's three episodes on Netflix available right now uh, as this is available and you guys are listening. Uh, me and the Jay uh, sat down and watched this uh, since last week's show. And, uh, man, I, I got to tell you, the Jay, uh, it was good just like I expected it to be, but there was a lot of stuff here. Uh, not only to unpack, but a lot of stuff that I did personally had no idea about. Yeah, and that's what we'll try to do our best to, to cover the whole thing. And we like to say on the podcast, you know, we, we had the idea going into it. We're, we're going to avoid spoilers when we can. But then again, we're going to give you a, a review um, and things like that, like we're doing here and breaking it down. Um, we'll give you the the spoiler alert. Um, insignia here that this is a spoiler alert there's going to be spoilers so if you haven't seen it yet I would suggest you know trying to work through this part of the podcast uh, without listening and coming back to it um, or you know just stopping it and coming back after you watch it Um, other than that if you don't care about spoilers that this is your warning. <laughs> so that, that being said, um, yeah, man, to your point, there was a lot that, that I didn't know. Uh, I followed the case, um, in, in present time when it was occurring. Um, but to, to the level that they cover in this, um, there was a lot that, that, that came uncovered that I wasn't aware of by any stretch. Um, the film was made specifically by two, uh, sports writers and, uh, it, specifically it was Dan Wetzel and Kevin Armstrong 
And they actually appear frequently in the episodes to recount some of the events. Uh, since this has aired on Netflix, um, you know, roughly a little over a week ago, it has become pretty controversial. Uh, so we'll, we'll cover all that stuff. Um, but just my initial take on it, they they seem to have given it some sort of uh, a theme throughout between uh, what led Hernandez in his mind, you know, hence killer inside the mind of Her- Aaron Hernandez of being a closeted homosexual, um, suffering from CTE from playing football his entire life, uh, abuse as, as a child and the combination of kind of all these things throughout his life, having an effect on him, and obviously a negative fashion. And, and that's kind of what I saw watching this. It wasn't just one of these things. Cause I know a lot of people, have talked about specifically the closeted homosexual thing, um, kind of being exploitative in a way and never a hundred percent proven and, and saying that that's why he ended up killing people. And, and that's not the case at all. I, I think that they, they say throughout this documentary that like anything, it's, it's a, a complex, complicated situation and all these factors played a role. And I think it was the combination of all these factors that led to Aaron Hernandez basically turning into a sociopath. Because at the end of the day, although, and again, we can get into different things, he gets acquitted of, of two of the three murders uh, that he was accused of committing. Uh, but nonetheless, it, it definitely looks like to everybody else that he did commit all three of these murders and, and at least was convicted of, of the one murder. Um, at the end of the day, you're a sociopath and you killed people in cold blood. So, you know, fuck you. Like, I don't have any sympathy for you, but the fact is there is a reason that led him to do this, you know, to, to, to go through with these murders. Yeah. And see, I'm a little bit more, uh, I'm a little bit different here. Um, because I do have a little bit of sympathy for the guy. Um, this, this is a story I think that, is in it's it's the story of the entitled athlete unraveling um, in a toxic environment uh, to him, uh, and by that I mean uh, he had a very strict father that he lost when I believe he was 16 years old. Um, that had a serious mental effect on him. Um, apparently, uh, according to the documentary, he was a closeted homosexual. Um, and being in the negative environment for that type of thing, and or I should say a homophobic environment for, for those type of things, that further compounded his problems. Um, then you add in the head injuries, uh, that compounds that problem uh, to a whole myriad of personality disorders. I think that that's probably safe to say at this point. Um, and you mix all this stuff in with you know, partying, uh, unsavory people, um, and a lot of highs and lows in somebody's life as far as their professional life goes, their personal life, the lows that they have, things like that really just made this an overall terrible situation and a tragic situation, uh, for many different sides. Um, but as far as the documentary itself goes, I thought it was very, very detailed um i thought it was very entertaining um i didn't feel as if it was exploitive 
I felt like they were just trying to get across most of the information and kind of let, let, allowed you to make up your own mind. Like it wasn't really a skewed view on anything. They were just kind of telling you what they knew. And that's everything from eyewitness accounts to, uh, you know, some of Aaron Hernandez's jail phone conversations that they played on the show. Um, so I thought that was really cool. You know what I mean? I felt that it, it was a, definitely a well-researched project. It didn't feel like somebody was kind of winging it or anything like that. Um, and this is the kind of thing that I think Netflix is really good at doing. So I was excited to see it, you know, whenever I first saw the, the trailers for it. But, you know, this is a, it was pretty damn good, man. Yeah, it was well-paced. I got through it quickly for it being three different parts because it, w- it was so interesting and well-paced. And, um, yeah, to your point, man, it was just a deadly concoction. And, and again, that was kind of my point, it, it, my initial outtake just to summarize everything. I just felt like this guy just had so many different things going on. And, you know, without getting true help, with being a wrong, around the wrong people. And on top of that, like you can see in the, the phone interviews that you brought up that is coming straight from Hernandez's mouth himself, he kind of developed this gangster attitude when he wasn't a gangster like they they had that guy on there that was friends with um his first murder victim odin lloyd that was a football football player it was that dude that was kind of like another gangster talking dude i'm sorry i don't have his name um you know he had like the long hair yeah he was pretty funny because he was just completely candid and um he was close friends with odin lloyd and, and was really you know obviously really pissed off at, at Hernandez's act and was just saying that, you know, he, he, he wasn't some, he, he's a dude that came from, you know, suburban Connecticut and, and he like had this chip on his shoulder to be this gangster and ended up getting involved in drugs and guns and all that kind of stuff. And that was, um, you know, further explained with, Aaron Hernandez's own, um, you know, commentary in that uh, of the the voice recordings they used, you know, where the way yep. just just the way he talked, you know, using the yep. n word to the pounces and things like that, and and even well, the he other... certainly, you know what, dude, that that reminds me, not to cut you off, yeah, no, but like fine. that, it, it, whenever he was talking to like you know certain people, he would like you know sound a lot different than when he was talking to like his fiance, right. Yeah, he was he was all mixed up and and even the one guy he ran with that he ended up freaking shooting leaving him for dead and the guy survived, you know, and his eye was all messed up. He shot him in the face and, and he yep. was even saying and that guy like, was a straight up gangster, too. Yeah, straight up gangster. And, and the guy said, like, uh, this dude just had a chip on his shoulder. And that's why. Uh, you know, again, it turns into allegedly because he wasn't fully convicted of the the, the second two killings. But I, I think ninety yep. percent, if not a hundred percent, that it's obvious that that he was the one that that committed those murders. Uh, even though the lawyer yep. with technicalities and the, the whole law thing and and playing the justice system loopholes and all that, which again is something we can get into or not in in our review of this and breakdown of it. Uh, but the judge got him off. But that night, that guy specifically said, like, this all started over a spilled drink. And Aaron just wouldn't let yeah. it go. To the point that he even took him away from that club for a significant amount of time. And then, like, Aaron was still hovering around that area and happened to see these guys drive past. And he said, let's go get him. Let's go get him. And that's what led to the second murder. So, yep. uh, you know, a double homicide. So, yeah, I think he just had this thing in his head. And, and, and I think, again, it goes back to that combination of, you know, possibly being closeted, which might have something to do with with his psychology. And then, and then you know, add in CTE, add in heavy family issues because his mom uh, left, you know, uh, was cheating on his father with his cousin that was like the closest family member that he happened to be to. 
it was her husband and she was even sitting in his hearing with that particular man. So, I mean, he wasn't coming from the Brady Bunch by any stretch uh, to the point that no. they even had a phone conversation with her asking for a million dollars from him when he signed the $40 million deal. And he said, Mom, what the fuck are you talking about? It's a $40 million deal over multiple years, almost a decade. Like, I don't, I'm not going to give you a million dollars, you know? So that's, that's what he was coming from. And I think all these factors just led into to him just, you know, basically going crazy, man. Yeah. I think that's a big part of it. You know, it's, it's a real shame because, you know, I feel like, you know, there's a lot of questions that I walked away with, uh, in, in this documentary and obviously talking to you, I guess you'd be the best person for me to pose these two because you watched the same thing I did. So, okay, here's some questions that I have over this whole thing. Okay. And this is just the whole, it's not the murders necessarily. It's, but that plays into it too. Okay. I still am not clear why he killed this Odin Lloyd guy. And I didn't hear anything in the documentary to explain this. Um, I I I don't think anybody really knows the reason, but like there's no, what was the motive and purpose for the murder of Odin Lloyd? As far as there's there's speculation. The only thing that I heard, and it's just speculation, it wasn't even covered in, in the doc was that he found out about Hernandez's sexuality. It goes back to that. And that's okay. and then again, that's just that's just hearsay. Uh, that's what I've read, you know, because I've read numerous things, uh, you know, preparing for this and after watching it and things like that. Uh, that's the because I, I agree with you. Like, I'd never got closure on that. I'm like, yeah, they never said, yep. like, why why he killed this dude. You know, that was because he was that's the other thing for those that, that are listening to this that didn't see it. He was friends with the first person he murdered. They were basically mm-hmm. about to be brother in laws. Because they were both, mm-hmm. um, you know, getting towards marriage to they a were pair dating of sisters. sisters. Yeah. Yep. So, and, and it said in there they got real tight uh, smoking weed. They both liked weed. They both liked just sitting around playing video games and smoking. So they were legit friends. So yep. yeah, it's like you know what what was the motive to kill you you know somebody that's a close friend of yours and and again just the hearsay of it uh, going back to to something else that wasn't proven you know and even with this documentary that's the thing there's there's certain things that are, are still going to be um, you know not exactly proven to be fact uh, but that's that's the only thing that I've heard that is any sort of motivation that he had was that you know Lloyd at some point found out that he might be gay and that that you know, set off Hernandez, you know, with everything else that was going on to be capable of, of killing him over something like that. Okay. So, and you also just kind of led into another question that I had. And again, this has nothing to do with the murders, but it just has to do with the situation at hand. I feel like there was a lot of enablers, uh, around Aaron Hernandez throughout his college and professional career. Okay. And one of the things that they touched on in the documentary was that, he smoked a shit ton of weed. Now, I don't care about that sort of thing. That doesn't, you know, uh, it doesn't make anybody a bad person, in my opinion. I could care less if that's what people want to do or not. Uh, but he and he got apparently a test in college that he failed, and he was suspended for I believe they said a game or two that he missed. Um, and it also caused his stock to drop when he got drafted. So. And then I forgot about this, actually, but the same year that the New England Patriots drafted Rob Gronkowski, they drafted Aaron Hernandez in a later round. And it's because he was still around. He was marked as a first-round pick, but because of the weed thing, it really knocked down his, his stock. 
Yeah, Belichick so he even said the, he was surprised that he was there, and he's like, okay, we'll take yeah, him. Yeah, and that's like, that's why they took him. Yeah. So then he goes to the NFL, and I think it's safe to say that from the start, he was probably a better tight end than Gronkowski was. Gronkowski really grew into a, the better player once Hernandez was gone. Um, but how the hell did Aaron Hernandez manage to play as many NFL games as he did without getting one single positive test for marijuana? Because you know he was getting tested. At least, I'm saying at least once. And yeah, he didn't get popped. it's a mystery, man. You're, you're right. That's it's a great thing to speculate about because as as they showed in the documentary, it was pretty obvious because, uh, again, with the video recordings, that truly doesn't lie. That's Aaron Hernandez speaking, you know, and, yep. and he talks about that. So, yeah, it, it's surprising. I don't know how he got around that. Um, but, yeah, to your point, they showed that statistical thing that the NFL scouts use because that, that thing's like, you know, that stuff's like a science. They have all these categories. And they showed Aaron Hernandez's, yep. and he was like, you know, say it was a scale of like to 10. He was like 10 and all these these things like, you know, uh, effort and game knowledge. Athleticism. And athleticism. And he's like up off the charts. And then there's player maturity. And it was like a one. <laughs> so, uh, you know, that was a big factor in, in him obviously getting drafted much later and still being on the table for the Patriots. But, yeah, to your point, um, you know, that's another thing. I mean, th- there was there was so much involved in this. Uh, it's tough to break it down in, in one of our podcast segments. But, um, you know, it's, it's just so interesting that d- these elite athletes, because, you know, everything comes – down to money, Ed. You know that. Like, yeah. If if he was just some, it's like anything. If he's some schlub, then then he, he's probably getting kicked off the team. You know, years before and things like that. But such an elite athlete that's going to bring you wins and, and in the end money and in a possible Super Bowl, you're going to be able to get away with a lot more than than an average player, uh, let alone a, a player on the fringe. Yeah, I totally agree there, a hundred percent. And I think that, you know, Aaron Hernandez is a great example of that. You know what I mean? There's other players, too. Somebody that we'll probably talk about at some point uh, in the show, as we seem to do week by week, is Antonio Brown. Another guy that's kind of, you know, not saying that he's going to kill anybody, you know, but at the same time, he's kind of going down this negative path. And you just see certain guys take that slide and you wonder if CTE has something to do with it. Um you know, it makes me wonder at the same time whenever, you know, you watch this documentary and you could kind of get the impression that Aaron Hernandez is smoking weed all the time. And that's something that, uh, you know, players get suspended for all the time in, in the NFL. And he didn't, you know, like that. So that's like what else was going on? So then right. you start to, to question the validity of a lot of the drug testing. And if that's the case, then what the hell else was he doing? Was he doing other drugs? Was he doing steroids? Was he, you know, who know you could, I mean, that's all speculation, but like you, it opens up. Yeah. To your point, if, to yeah, the if there's well. smoke, there's fire. And if, if you're, if you're already, if it's factual, you're doing all this crazy shit. It's like, yeah, what don't we know? You know? And, um, I, I think we covered this pretty good cause there's a lot more to it. Uh, so we'll give our closing thoughts. Uh, so I just wanted to, to bring up this little anecdote from, from this documentary and I'll give my closing thoughts and then, and then you could close the segment. Hey Ed. Um, but sure. I, I thought it, I, I didn't want to end this segment without bringing up, the show stealers, in my opinion, just for and again, I, I want to preamble this comment with the fact that I, I feel for the victims in this. I feel for the victims, family, families, truly. 
Um, this is a, a horrible situation. At the end of the day, it deals with with murder. It deals with a troubled superstar athlete. And, and again, I think that's what makes this case so interesting to people is that from the outside looking in, he was good looking. He was a super athlete. He just signed a $40 million deal. He had a pretty fiance that he was about to marry. More than anything, he had a baby. He had a mansion. How could he do this? That's what makes that this interesting. So that whole preamble is because I want to bring up what I thought was the comedic aspect of this. And that was this, um, I don't even know if I'm going to pronounce it right. The Sansosix or the Sansosis. And that was, uh, Dennis Sansosi was Aaron's quarterback in high school that he alleged he had an affair with him and he is a complete goof and kills me. And then, then there's his dad, Tim, that's even worse, and who at one point I think he says like G Wiz or G Willikers. Oh yeah, in this kind yep. of a documentary, and, and man, did they bring humor to it to something that's so serious? Because I th- I think it was brought up that the only person involved in this documentary that had anything to say specifically, you know, as a, a, as a allegation to towards Hernandez being a homosexual was this goof. Uh, but yeah, just had to bring up them. You know, if you haven't watched the documentary, you got to see for yourselves uh, that these two guys were were just you know they're just kind of goofballs, just the way they acted. You know, I even saw a meme with um, the character from the remake of The Longest Yard, uh, Nick. What's his name? Nick Turturro's character. Oh yeah, Nick Turturro. Nick Turturro because he's like the the closeted guy in uh, the Longest Yard remake, and there's a picture of him. It said like Aaron Hernandez is high school quarterback. <laughs> so not not <laughs> again not to make not make light of anything, but just for some some comedy, just because these guys were comedic. Um, but yeah, to, to sum it up um, in closing, like you said, it was it was a well put together co- um, co- documentary, as controversial as it may have been, because I know the the defense lawyer that that got Aaron Hernandez off um, since the documentary come out has stated that he feels betrayed by the producers in that the truce on the cutting room floor he knew Aaron Hernandez personally 100% more than them and he feels like a, a lot of documentaries that they took creative freedom so you know just to bring up his opinion and, and also more than anything uh, one of the victims because uh, you know God bless the other two victims as well uh, but Lloyd um, Odin Lloyd his family mm-hmm. has come out since because they said they were really upset because they have just been trying to get over this and to just live their lives and to grieve the way they need to grieve, you know, especially his mother who has been an advocate for, for certain things. Um, you know, just a side note, not to ramble about it, but there was a, an old Massachusetts law that once Hernandez killed himself, he was considered not guilty of his crimes. It's a whole long story, but she campaigned to have that expunged, which was successful. Uh, but they, they felt very slighted by this documentary as well, because it seems like that they were part of it uh, with all the footage that the filmmakers were legally allowed to use and the way they told the story. They, they wanted to move on from it, and they felt like this brought up. Uh, a lot of a lot of pain and things like that. People commenting on social media towards them about Odin Lloyd when you know th- this was in the past. This was a few years behind them. You know the death happened in, in 2017, uh, three years ago, and now it's got, kind of getting brought up again. So I just wanted to bring that aspect up. Uh, you know, for the victims and the people involved on that side of it, because uh, that is kind of a shame. You know, you from just a, a person watching its point of view. You know, you don't think of things like that. Uh, so uh, that's something I read about and just wanted to bring up. 
in the review of this. Um, but I'll, I'll hand it over to you, Ed, on, on your closing thoughts. But um, at the end of the day, I thought it was a very interesting, um, well-paced documentary. Yeah, I mean, I, I enjoyed it. I thought it was really good. Um, I didn't think it was, you know, tasteless or anything like that. I thought that they, they got a lot of the major points in there and, and presented the story well. Um, I was surprised to find out that it was only three episodes, um, but I understand after watching it the way that they did it, I thought it was really well done and, and you know, kept me involved. And I, I watched it all in one sitting in one night, so um, it's definitely worth checking out. That's available on Netflix now. I definitely would recommend it. I think the Jay would as well. But you yeah, know, for sure. it, it's it's a grim topic, but nonetheless, it was a it was a pretty good documentary. And uh, you know, uh, even though there's still questions and things like that, I think that's also the purpose of something like this is to bring up further questions and bring up further dialogue and have people talk about the actual situation and the people involved uh, and get those kind of things out there. But you know, that's uh, the killer inside Aaron Hernandez, as I mentioned, available on Netflix now. Uh, let's move on to the next one that we were going to talk about, and this is another. One that was uh, really interesting too. This was uh, on ABC uh, since our last uh, recording, and that is a 2020 uh, two-hour special that they did on the life of Richard Pryor, the comedic legend himself. Um, I watched this one on On Demand, so I believe it's probably still available if you guys want to check it out on your local cable systems or uh, online. Uh, you could probably check it out. It's about two hours long. A lot of different people involved in this one that they talked to about Richard Pryor, which I thought was really cool. They talked about a lot about his personal life and his, his upbringing as a child, which was something that I have read a, a considerable amount on, and I have a pretty cool personal story I'll share with you guys later on in the you know in the segment uh, about my, I guess the closest I ever got to Richard Pryor, so to speak. Uh, but you know, I thought this is a really, really good story. Uh, his life is amazing and, and he's one of my favorite uh, stand-up comedians of all time. And, uh, you know, I appreciate you telling me about this one, man, cause I didn't even know this is a thing until you mentioned it to me. So I'm definitely appreciative there because, uh, you know, being a R big Richard Pryor fan, it was pretty cool to see something like this done about him, you know, in the year 2020, he's been dead for years. So it's really cool. Yeah, that's what I wanted to say first and foremost. I grew up as a big fan of stand-up. And as a child of the 80s and 90s, you know, uh, Richard Pryor was was right up there with the Eddie Murphys and the Robin Williams um, as far as some of my favorite comics. And, you know, obviously I, I didn't get into um, a lot of them until my formative years as a teenager and things like that because I wasn't allowed to, to watch stuff like that. And it was a lot tougher to watch stuff like that as a kid. You know, like nowadays kids can get away with a lot more, at, you know, especially at like different friends' houses and things with Netflix and stuff. But always a fan of, of stand-up comedy and Richard Pryor, uh, especially as far as, um, you know, African-American comics go, um, was just such a trailblazer. And, and that's what this documentary covers. And he, he even says, you know, one of the main people that brought him up in, in stand-up comedy and made him interested in it and that he envied and wanted to be was Bill Cosby. And I thought that was an interesting aspect, too, because, um, you know, we, we all know what's going on with, with Bill Cosby here in 2020. So, um, you know, that was interesting to hear because, uh, again, I, I know there's been um, some previous documentaries, um, books, things like that. Of course, a ton on, on Richard Pryor. He's a legendary stand-up comic. And uh, there's a particular one that I'm interested now in, and after watching this that I haven't checked out yet called I Am Richard Pryor uh, that's supposed to be pretty good. 
but you know, to sum things up, uh, it covers his 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 life um, as a child growing up in a in a whorehouse, where it you know in Peoria, Illinois, where his grandmother was actually the the one that ran the whorehouses, his freaking grandmother. Yep. And, you know, his, his mom was one of the prostitutes. His aunt was one of the prostitutes. Um, you know, his dad was, was accused of domestic abuse. So he came up in a, what he personally described, and they used a clip of it in the documentary, hell. Um, you yeah. know, a prominent thing they, they uh, put up on the, in the documentary was an interview that he did with Barbara Walters. Um, mm-hmm. hence the connection to 2020. Uh, so there was a lot of interesting clips from that, but the bottom line f- for me to sum it up was that there was a lot that I didn't know with, you know, uh, other than being a, a fan of Richard Pryor's standup and, and I haven't even revisited many of his standup stuff in, in numerous years, uh, just as a fan of them, uh, like Ed had mentioned, that's why I mentioned to you, I just, you know, happened to see and catch the, the preview for it the commercial for it that they were doing it so i made sure to dvr it and check it out um but yeah it was just interesting to find out um you know i think like a lot of people say that's where the groundbreaker that richard Pryor became came from was the combination of this insane upbringing with the fact that he he, he was coming up in in a racist society at that time and they even specifically state that when he got the Las Vegas gig, which, you know, was a huge gig for a stand up comic, especially back then, uh, you know, as far as making money and things that stand up, you know, he was on the strip and everything. And there was no African-Americans at all in the crowd. It was an yep. all white crowd and he yep. couldn't swear. He couldn't do this. And he just got to the point. He's like, what the fuck am I doing? And he said his come to Jesus meeting was one of his sets. Uh, Dean Martin was in the crowd, Dean Martin from the Rat Pack, and he caught Dean Martin's eyes, and Dean Martin was basically saying, like, what the fuck are you doing? And he literally walked off stage and mm-hmm. never looked back. He he completely changed his act. He said, fuck it, I'm going to be me and I'm going to be real, and ended up being a trailblazing African-American comic. Um, you know, his, his personal issues aside, because, you know, they cover those two, you know, he's obviously a, a big time Coke addict, alcoholic, ended up getting into crack famously, um, burnt himself, um, in a crack accident, uh, had seven, I think it was five different Boy, wives, five basing. different wives. Yeah. He's free basing and had a, an accident. So, um, yeah, again, to sum it up, it was, you know, and it's, it's the segment worked because, uh, in correlation with the, um, Aaron Hernandez documentary, it's, it's not happy, happy stuff. Um, but it's real, it's raw, it's gritty. And it's, uh, as far as the documentary specifically goes, you know, it's very well, well put together. And I learned a lot about Richard Pryor and it was, it was good to see where a lot of his pain came from to create the comedy it did. But as a performer and uh, again, as a kid of the eighties and watching like the toy and, um, what was the movie, uh, hear no evil, see no evil with, uh, Gene Wilder that he did, you know, as a, as a film guy, um, you know, I just always love Richard Pryor. So, you know, it's tough to see this side of people, um, whether the celebrities or not, you know, it's tough to see what he had to go through. Um, but you know, God bless him, man. It was, but it was, a, it was a really cool documentary. Sorry for going on so long there. Ed. No, no, it's, that one. no, I was going to say, uh, you know, I'm a big, big Richard Pryor fan. And, uh, I was lucky years and years and years ago in another lifetime. Basically, uh, I used to do another movie related podcast, 
And uh, one of the interviews that I did was with an actress named Carol Speed. Uh, some of you guys who have seen The Mac uh, might be familiar with Carol Speed. Uh, she played Lulu in The Mac, which Richard Pryor was in. And there was a big you know, section of, of this Richard Pryor special that was about the making of The Mac. Um, it just so happened that in 1972, I believe, when they were making the movie, uh, this is when Richard Pryor's cocaine habit was really getting bad. And... Uh, Carol told us stories uh, about, you know, being on set and stuff where Richard Pryor wasn't showing up and things like that. And she saw a lot of different sides of Richard Pryor that she shared with us where she basically said she saw him at his worst, just completely agitated on set uh, because he needed cocaine, and but he had to act. Uh, and she said whenever he showed up, he was professional and he would, you know, do what he needed to do. But that's when he was rarely on set. You know what I mean? That was a big problem at the time. and uh, But apparently she talked to him about his childhood, and the dude really, really had a terrible childhood. Growing up in Indiana, like you mentioned, uh, in the whorehouses and stuff like that, uh, his grandmother ran the whorehouse. His, his grandfather was a pimp. Uh, this is the environment he grew up in. Uh, there's a story that Carol Speed specifically told us about Richard Pryor losing his virginity uh, as a kid. Uh, to a prostitute uh, because it was a situation his, his grandfather forced him to do. Um, so this dude grew up in a very racist, very ugly childhood. And it definitely affected him. You know what I mean? They a lot, of, a lot of the best comedians that we've ever seen or people that are in their personal lives are highly troubled uh, or have substance abuse issues or sometimes both. So, and I think that Richard Pryor is definitely also proof of that. But, you know, Richard Pryor is a great story, though, man, because he came from nothing. And he made himself not only into a, a very successful person, but into, you know, he's a fucking legend, man. It's Richard Pryor, Christ. So, yeah. Uh, but, yeah, I thought that was really cool uh, hearing some of the stories and background and shit. Uh, whenever I got to talk to Carol Speed years ago, and I, I actually got the opportunity to meet her. Uh, like about a year or so after I did the interview and she remembered us and everything. So it was really cool, but that's, you know, that's about as close as I ever got to seeing or being around Richard Pryor's through Carol Speed. But, you know, I definitely appreciate the stories because I'm a huge fan of the movie, the Mac. So that was, that was cool. And if you guys have never seen the Mac, definitely, definitely check it out. Uh, if you can, you probably find it on fucking YouTube at this point. Yeah, that's that's an awesome personal story, man. It's cool. And um, shout out to uh, Harlem Harlem Knights as well. Another. Oh, that's a great classic. one. Absolutely, yeah. man. But yeah, definitely. Uh, if you get the opportunity, check out the uh, 2020 special on the life of Richard Pryor. Like I said, you can most likely see that online. You might want to check ABC.com uh, or you can watch it on your local cable systems on demand. Um, just a few other quick notes, uh, you know, we just, uh, prior to going on, you know, to record the show tonight, uh, I saw that, uh, Terry Jones from Monty Python just passed away at age 77, uh, as somebody that enjoys Monty Python, you know, that kind of sucks and it's a shame. And I definitely wanted to mention that on the show. So rest in peace to Terry Jones. Um, also, another story, too, that uh, has been making the rounds that Quentin Tarantino uh, is swearing that he's only going to make one more movie and retire. We've heard this story from him a few times over the years, but he swears this time that he is serious about this. Uh, obviously, the Jay, I know you're a big Tarantino guy. Um, what do you think, man? Is he going to be one and done or no? 
Well, the thing about it with you bringing up that he said it, but the thing is, he hasn't made that 10th movie yet. So, um, you know, it could very well be true because I know it was it was like kind of dubbed as his uh, retirement speech in the article that, that we referenced uh, to bring this up. And basically what he was saying is that he's getting older now and that directing is a young man's game. You know, he's like, look, it's, you know, maybe if you make it look easy, and of course I'm paraphrasing terribly what he actually said, but basically, you know, if you make it look easy as a professional, but it's, it's draining, it's such a tough job, especially at the highest of high levels. And he's actually just having his first child. Um, cause his wife's a lot younger, obviously. Cause I think, you know, Tarantino is well into his fifties. So, you know, to answer your question, I mean, it could very well be true. Cause again, uh, once upon a time just came out, it's getting all the accolades that it's currently getting. We're going into the, the 2020 Oscars and, um, you know, he's nominated, Brad Pitt's nominated, the film's nominated, uh, DiCaprio's nominated and all that. So w- with that all being a, a culmination of his career with him, you know, he's been talking about for years, he just wanted to do the even 10, um, you know, to your point, Ed, we'll obviously have to see, but, but, you know, cause he takes a lot of time to, to even write his films, uh, as we all know with the dialogue and the details he does. So with him just doing the current run of once upon the time that he's doing to combine into a fresh script, uh, a fresh pre-production into production, into release, that's going to be the next few years. This could very well be the truth. My personal take on it as an art type person, as a creative type person, especially professionally, I don't even think you should bring up retirement, Uh, you know, maybe just kind of ride out in the sunset, if you will, kind of thing, because you you might get the hankering just to do something well after you say you retire, you know, a professional athlete's one thing, a professional boxer's one thing, Uh, even even an actor, because acting takes a lot, like when Jack Nicholson said, like, I have to officially retire from acting, I'm fucking 70 some years old, I can't do it anymore. That's one thing. And I, I think that's Tarantino's point for directing. But then again, you know, maybe even as a writer and things like that. So, so yeah, uh, uh, to, to sum it up, um, you know, we'll have to see. But uh, this is one that I might think that might actually be, you know, 10, 10 even full directed films. It, it might be the, uh, him hanging it up. Yeah, I think it's definitely possible. I mean, only time will tell. Um, and just moving along here, because I know that we're running super, super long this week. Uh, we had a couple albums that we were going to talk about here on the show, uh, some new releases. Uh, first up uh, is going to be uh, the shortest of the three. Uh, this is The Appetition. It's a new three-track record from Raekwon from the Wu-Tang Clan. Uh, this is something that I checked out the other day through Spotify. Uh, I know that you you do the Apple Music stuff. Um, yep. Did you get a chance to check this one out, man? Because this is out of just three random new tracks from Raekwon. I actually really liked it. Yeah, yeah. After you brought it up, um, I it's it's one I don't have my finger on the pulse as much as uh, with music than I do other aspects of pop culture, you know, especially films and things like that. So when you brought it up, I hadn't heard about it. But yeah, that's the great thing with with paying for a service like Apple Music, you with Spotify. So once you brought it up, I was able to listen to him a few times. Uh, Chef it up, Shell's Kitchen, and Solid Gold. I'd say out of the three, I liked Chef It Up personally the best, but I mean, all three were, were solid, man. Like, you know, hip hop is, is hit or miss like a lot of music now. And again, as always, the oversaturation of things. Uh, but I think they stood out, man, because Raekwon has always been one of the, the standouts to me. Um, I mean, Wu-Tang has so many guys out of their huge group, but he's always probably been in at least my top four with like Meth, Red Man, and um, 
you know, RZA and Ghostface. So, you know, that's that's like my top five I just named. But, but well, yeah, now Redman, yeah, cool. Redman's not in Woo now. Oh, yeah. Or, yeah, that's my bad. But, yeah. But it's all mine is that shows you, again, my, my music knowledge isn't. No, isn't but it's all. Best, it's, but. It, hey, it's all good, man, because you'll actually check shit out. So that's what's. That's I appreciate that you're you're at least yeah. open to things. So, uh, but yeah, man, it's three tracks. It's pretty good. I like Solid Gold. That's probably my favorite out of the three. But I I thought it was kind of refreshing too. Like you you brought up numerous times on the show about other things as well. The oversaturation of everything. It's kind of refreshing to see somebody, especially like Raekwon, just throw three tracks out and go. That's cool. Like it's not a twenty four track album. It's not something ridiculous. It's just here's three tracks. Boom, quick and easy. It'll probably, you know, you'll at least maybe get one of the three, I'm saying, into your your rotation uh, going forward if you do, like, playlists and shit like that. So I definitely think that's worth checking out. That's the Appetition from Raekwon. Uh, another one that I wanted to bring up, too, uh, this one uh, is a little bit on a downer, I thought. But that's uh, Mac Miller's Circles. Uh, that's the posthumous album uh, from uh, Pittsburgh's own Mac Miller. Uh, who I'm actually a fan of. I like Mac. Uh, but, man, this this one's a brutal, brutal record to sit through. And it's not because I didn't like it. It's just because it's it's a lot different, uh, a lot more into the singing realm and stuff like that for Mac uh, than his previous records. But it's really just kind of a depressing album, man. Yeah, it's more of like, you know, uh, yeah, to your point, it's definitely not, not upbeat. Um, you know, I, I look at it as like pretty good chill music, you know, if you're in the mood, but if you're like really paying attention to it and lick, listening to the lyrics and knowing kind of the mind state that he was in at the time, you know, uh, and again, that's a, an assumption, but we all know what happened to him and, and, and the state of mind that led to, to him, uh, you know, being on these drugs and, and always, you know, fighting and, and kind of being in a dark place. And, um, it, it kind of shows you that you know it's like just emotion you know a lot of emotional pain it seems was in this yeah no i definitely agree there i mean uh you know songs uh, there's a few standout songs though to me like i thought complicated is a really good song uh definitely thought that hand-me-downs was cool that's on me is a good one uh you know overall it's not a record that i see myself listening to all the time uh, I don't think too much of it's going to get into my playlists or anything like that. But, you know, I think it's a solid effort. I mean, I at least appreciate what the dude was going for, trying to do something a little bit different for once. Yeah, I agree, man. It, it's definitely, if, if you're a fan of hip-hop, especially, you know, obviously specifically a fan of Mac Miller, um, it's definitely worth giving it a listen and checking out. But, yeah, I thought it was... You know, definitely, yeah. It's it's kind of somewhat of uh, of a depressing album with what what happened to him was was uh, you know maybe that was in my own head personally listening to it the first time and I did only listen to it um, on a long drive once. Um, so for the review, it, it might have been better to to have a couple uh, more listens, you know, than just one. But from that one listen, because um, it was recently, uh, to your point, Ed, yeah, it was uh, it was definitely more on on that side of things. You know, just uh, again, I go back to that. It was just like emotional pain yeah and it's it's a it's definitely not a fun and breezy record to listen to uh and also speaking of an album that's not fun and breezy to listen to uh, a surprise drop uh by eminem a new album called music to be murdered by um this is why you know we've talked about this a few times i'm not really much of an eminem fan at all uh anymore 
Um, I was a fan initially uh, whenever he first got popular and shit like that back in the 90s. But, uh, you know, this album to me is not very good, uh, it, it, you know, but but I will say that with the caveat, though, of there are a few tracks on it that are really fucking good, though. Like, as a total complete album, I see what he was going for. I just think there's way too many collaborations on this album that just don't work to me. Like, I really have no interest in an Eminem song with Young M.A. Uh, you know, like, I like the shit with Royce the 5'9". I'm fine with that. Like, you know, the, the one standout to me, though, is the uh, the song with Royce the 5'9", Black Thought, Q-Tip. Like, I mean, that song is fucking tremendous. Uh, and another song, Darkness, that I thought is, you know, probably the best track on the whole album um, overall, you know. And I did like, there was another one, No Regrets, another song that I liked. But as an overall album, eh, you know, I, I don't see myself listening to a lot of it uh, ever again. Uh, but those songs that I did mention, I probably will listen to those at least, you know, like, like I said earlier, they'll make their way to the playlist. Yeah, I mean, a couple of things from, from my perspective, you know, speaking of the Raekwon and, and kind of just throwing out the three-track thing, um, that's what's cool with, with what Eminem does because this is the second album back-to-back -back, uh, that he's done this because it's Eminem and he can. He doesn't announce shit. Like, I woke up the next day, again, speaking of having um, Spotify and Apple Music, and it was mm -hmm. just like, boom, a new album from Eminem, you know, with, yep. with no... So, that, so that's, that's a really cool, like, you know, aspect to it. Um, the other thing I liked about it, because I was always the type of guy, and I know you, have, I, you and I have talked about this numerous times with, with the way that we are with things, and, and especially with me, is like, I always like those, you know, front to back, I mean, who doesn't? Like, where everything is different, but is good and and it all vibes like, together it all vibes together it's all one album and like to your point i agree with you like i have a different take but it it, it wasn't exactly like like that kind of classic that everyone but i did like that everything was kind of different there were some bangers on it he he had the of course as a film guy the alfred hitchcock gimmick because you know it was it was kind of like a you know inspired from an actual title of an alfred hitchcock thing with the composer music to be murdered by um, yep. from 1958 and, and i love how he had like the interludes with actual alfred hitchcock takes you know um so all those aspects were cool you know especially you know just for me personally. Um, and I agree with you. Like, um, darkness was, was a cool song. I mean, it's pretty heavy. Cause he's basically talking mm -hmm. about if he was like <laughs> an assassin, like the, the Las Vegas assassin and, you know, the 2017 mass shooting that occurred there at the music festival. And he had a lot to say about that. So, uh, you know, that was a risky take, but was pretty cool. Um, you know, he's basically inhabiting the mind of a gunman. Um, but you know, like, you know, kind of, explains things and, and things like that. Like it, it felt like he, he was trying to kind of do a new take on, on Stan in a different way, you know, his song Stan. And yeah. Then, it's, um, I, I, that's, I think that's when Eminem's at his best. Like at this point, yeah. like I don't want to hear the goofy shit. I don't want to hear like his experience. Right. Some of his, his experimental stuff is terrible. Like, I just think he makes some terrible beats and just tries to basically rhyme completely offbeat and it's like this it's it's just him experimenting with shit because he can do it but i don't think that it's it's not the way that i want to hear him 
You know what I mean? Exactly. So, yeah. And but I'm I, admittedly he's not making records for me at this point. I don't really care one way or another. Like I said, I'm not the biggest Eminem fan, but there's definitely some bangers on this one for sure. So I'll give him credit yeah, there. Yeah, that's what I was going to say. I, I like the ones you brought up. The the only other one that I would personally bring up track wise is the one that he did with um, Juice World called Godzilla. Uh, I yeah, that, that one actually is song. good. I, I was that was because I'm not a big Juice World guy, and I mean, because yeah, it's more like you know, emo I, rap or whatever they call it. Yeah, but like that was whatever. one that I actually liked a lot more than I expected to. So it, it's that I guess that's a thing. Like the ones that I mention are the ones that are gonna make it onto the playlist. They're stuff that I'm gonna listen to, you know, more than once. There's a lot of stuff on the album that I thought was just complete throwaway. I understand that there's a lot of skits and stuff because it's more of a concept of an album type thing that he's doing there. So I give credit to that. Uh, but, you know, ultimately, it's a lot of music to me that doesn't fit together. He's doing collaborations with artists that don't necessarily work with him. And I'm not saying that they're good or bad or otherwise. They just don't. It, it the, the chemistry's not there. So... It is what it is, but then again, I'm old school with with rappers and shit like that. I prefer rappers to do a you know albums where they don't have a lot of features and shit like that. You know what I mean? Like I want to see somebody yeah. stand up on their own two feet and make their own record that doesn't you know depend on 42 cameos on an album to make it good. And I'm not saying that's what Eminem's even doing here with this record, but that's just you know my feeling on it in general. You know, with rap albums, so. Uh, but it, you know, it's definitely worth checking out. I mean, when, like, like you mentioned, having shit like Apple music and Spotify and stuff makes that so much easier. Uh, cause you know, every new music day, you could basically go and check out all the new shit you want to. And, uh, you know, I was glad that I checked these three records out too. I definitely recommend, uh, listeners, if you're listening to this, if you're still hanging in there with us this week, uh, to definitely check these three records out. Obviously, that's Eminem, Music to be Murdered by, Mac Miller's Circles, and Raekwon, The Appetition. Uh, and that's available on all streaming platforms uh, as we speak. So what do you say we take a quick break, do a wrap-up, uh, which is going to be us circling back around, if you will, uh, to a topic we talked about previously on the podcast being physical media and its importance in the world uh but we're gonna take a quick break when we come back we'll wrap it up for you uh hang in there with us guys thanks for listening we'll be back right here on the what's real podcast hi this is jared bajoris from what's real tonight i'm here to talk about churchill pictures first original feature film deference set in a time when the underground criminal circuit was prominent throughout the blue-collar neighborhoods of pittsburgh deference focuses on two young men attempting to break out of their predetermined fates Bruno de Macy, once content as the muscle for the city's biggest bookie, has grown weary of picking up collections and seeks his own advancement beyond what Gigi has to offer. At the same time, Bruno's best friend Paulie, recently released from prison, returns to his former glory as a card hustler who quickly draws the attention of Gigi's eye. While Bruno attempts to move beyond Gigi and run his own operation, Paulie gradually becomes sucked in, becoming directly linked to Gigi's success as a private ringer. Deference won the Silver Ace Award at the 2012 Las Vegas Film Festival, and I'm here to tell you how you can see this independent award-winning film. Go to www.churchillpictures.com. There's a tab for features. Click the Deference tab. The film is available here for streaming to rent or own. And we're back here on the What's Real podcast, uh, just wrapping things up this week. Uh, but one of the things that uh, we want to discuss, because it kind of calls back to something we talked about on the previous uh, episode, 
uh, being like physical media and rental stores and things like that. But I ran across this op-ed on uh, NewYorkTimes.com or NYTimes.com from Veronica Walsingham uh, said, we should have bought the DVDs. It's 2022. I don't know if I'll ever own a house, but I can own my favorite television shows in their entirety uh, is the, you know, undertitle, I guess. Um, But it's a really good uh, thing, basically, where the woman says that on a monthly basis, she pays a grand total of $110 per month to watch television. And that is not from somebody that subscribes to cable that is somebody that has a shit ton of streaming services and how you know if you depended on those streaming services to for your favorite shows uh you know like one that you hear come up all the time is friends because uh, there was a major bidding war with friends uh from streaming services earlier last year i believe it was uh and it was ultimately won out by hbo with their new streaming service and um you know, if you didn't buy the DVDs or the Blu-rays of your favorite shows when they were available, now you're kind of at the mercy of all these streaming services. You know, I mean, the point for a lot of people to these services was to cut the cord from cable, and they did that, and now they're on the hook for basically the same amount they were paying for cable previously because they subscribed to 26 streaming services. Um, but yeah, I definitely re- recommend checking out that article on nytimes.com. Um, but, you know, we talked about this, man. It's it's an advantage to having a collection because you're never at the mercy of anyone else except for your living room or walking and, and picking up, uh, you know, whatever you prefer to watch. Uh, you're not held at the mercy of any streaming service to have their service so that you have access to certain things you want to always watch. Yeah, it's a great point because think about that. You're watching old shit that you've already watched that at the time that you watched it, you watched for free. And now you're paying for that <laughs> to yeah. watch it again, And but now you're paying for it. So, mm-hmm. yeah, uh, again, we discussed it. Um, uh, you know, I, th- I think it comes down to, like, so many things in life, uh, your personal preference. You know, I mean, if you're somebody that – um, enjoys specific shows that are on HBO and you can afford it, then you should subscribe to HBO and things like that. Cause I, I, I know people that, um, when game of Thrones was big, cause you know, obviously that's has since concluded, uh, but they would just have HBO during the time frame that game of Thrones was on and then they would, um, unsubscribe. So I, I think like it, it's sad because like so many things, if you really want to save money and do what's best for you, you have to put the time and work and effort into it. You know, it's like you kind of got to develop your own system. And that's what I kind of did, even though I'm kind of contradictory saying that because I have pretty much everything. (laughs) But now that like even more stuff are coming out, like there's there's Apple Plus, um, there's going to be the the HBO uh, streaming service, not not just HBO Go, which is like, you know, basically just the um, streaming version of HBO. It's going to be a completely different service and and things like that. You know, there's a couple other ones that are mentioned in this article. Um, But yeah, I mean, that's, that's kind of my, my take on it is that you kind of just, you know, to not break the bank, you kind of got to just, again, like a lot of things in life, you got to prioritize, you know, what are, what are my priority shows? What am I going to actually use and watch? Because just like anything with waste, you don't want to waste money on things that you're not using. You know, and, yeah. and that's what the current state of the market gives you is is like, you know, my wife and I realized that like, you know, we got Hulu for certain things, but it's like 
oh, we, we paid $10 for Hulu last month and didn't watch one thing on it. You know, yeah. we could we could have unsubscribed for that month. And then if we want next time we like it, it struck us to watch something on Hulu, do the same thing. Subscribe for a month because you can do that at least right now before they lock you into who knows what in the near future. Um, but but yeah, that's that's my thing about it is is I feel like because of all these options and it's so overwhelming, you just got to kind of look yourself in the mirror and say, Okay, which which shows do do I watch or want to attempt to watch, and you know what what services can I afford, and, and kind of go from there. Uh, but to the point of this article, it, it is such a a unique place in history with this stuff because it's just getting crazier and crazier. And again, it's all it's all a battle for for eyeballs because the battle for eyeballs is the battle for money. And yeah. All these streaming services want your business. They want your monthly subscription fees. So, so again, it's it, it's 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 kind of like a double-edged sword, as we talked about before, where because of all this competition with art, the cream rises to the cr- top, and we're going to have that much better content. But again, it's like all the expendable bullshit in between and weighing that out. Yeah. No, I agree, man. I mean, I think that that's. You know, like, especially from somebody like us, because we both have big collections of media. Like, you know what I mean? Like, we have, uh, you know, wrestling on, you know, physical media. We have movies. We have seasons of television shows. We have all kinds of stuff, you know, on Blu-ray and DVD and, you know, previously on VHS and stuff like that. So we've been purveyors of physical media as long as we can remember. And, you know, so we have that aspect kind of covered to some degree. And I don't know about you, but whenever I know that there's a particular movie or season or something of a television show, whatever it may be, like when I know that I need to have that because it's like one of my favorites or whatever it is, and I know that I want to like, you know, there's certain television shows and stuff that I have uh, that I don't trust streaming services or television networks or anybody to keep the licensing for or give me availability to. So I feel the need to own them so I could watch them whenever I want. Um, and yeah, I don't, that's how I am, obviously. Because I never trusted. That's the way we grew up. You know what I mean? Like, we remember the time period whenever, like, if you didn't see a movie in a movie theater, then God knows when you're going to get a chance to see it. You know what I mean? Like, this is like pre-rental store kind of shit. We live during that time period. So, you know what I mean? We know that we've been there every step of the way. So it doesn't, you know, we've never been trusting in a system that like, oh, yeah, Netflix will always have The Simpsons or whatever it might be. You know, so it's always been kind of we've always felt it the need to have that kind of shit. Yeah, we've talked about that where if, if we really wanted to and we should experiment sometime like with our collections we literally in the rest of our life could not watch all the films slash TV shows slash wrestling events in a lifetime that we already own and yeah, we keep guaranteed. adding to it. Yeah, so it, no it'd be, it'd be something if, if you just take everything off and, and just go based off of your hard, hard copy collection, you know, but you know, that's my problem is just how, how my mind works and just all my hobbies and interests because I still follow um, MMA and, the the pro wrestling that's going on now not just past stuff you know like the the wednesday night wars that are going on right now between AEW and nxt and penguin games and pirate games and steeler games and you know it's just and that's why i was saying it just kind of depends on your your personality on how you want to kind of attack this um 
waterfall of, of constant media, you know? Yeah, it's a ton of shit, man. It absolutely is. But, you know, there there are options. Like, a, you know, I just thought the article was really cool, uh, and it, it definitely alluded to something we sp- spoke about earlier on the, the previous episode. So I thought it was kind of like the perfect thing to bring up here on the show. Uh, also, too, real quick before we get out of here, uh, a quick goofs or goofs segment for you. Because who's our MVP of the goofs or goofs segment other than Antonio Brown, former NFL wide receiver and Pittsburgh Steeler. Uh, But his trainer, Glenn Holt, was arrested for felony burglary and battery. And uh, the moving truck driver said that he was battered by Holt and Antonio Brown. Officers tried to contact Brown but were unsuccessful as it's an ongoing investigation. And, uh, you know. What else can we say about fucking Antonio Brown at this point, other than this dude is a complete and utter jackass? Yeah, since since it's been going on consistently with the beginning of the podcast and the incarnation of the Goose for Goose segment, or I'm sorry, yeah, we we can't say our own segment name, <laughs> Goose our Goose segment. Um, we it, we'd be remiss to not bring up his latest antics, but it is getting to the point where we we're kind of uh, kind of alluding to that last week in discussion of it. It's it's almost getting like you know we we're doing it for funny stuff because he's like throwing gummy dicks last week and all that stuff, but now it's just getting to the point where it, where it is getting over the hump of of kind of stupid comedy and and just watching um, somebody self destruct it like was super cocky so you didn't care as much because the way he's acting to the point now i'm just like yeah that like this dude absolutely at this point needs fucking help you know yeah. i mean we were just talking about the aaron hernandez cte thing like we're, we're realizing that's real you know um because th- that's another thing we didn't bring up in our aaron hernandez segment but a neurologist that's like the best brain doctor to do it um currently and presently that the Hernandez family um, gave permission to take his brain stated that his brain was the worst that she's seen to this point in, in the documentary. Yep. So that's something that should not be just brushed to the, to the side. Cause I know we've brought it up with other people talking about AB's current situation and you bring up CTA and they're like, I don't know, man, I think he's just an asshole. You can't just blame that shit. And again, in correlation with the, the Hernandez shit, I'm not just blaming one thing or saying that he's not an asshole, but there's reasons for everything. And, and at this point it's getting to that point of, of being just rightfully concerned about another human being, you know, mm-hmm. um, because so far he hasn't. Um, well, I mean, there's allegations that he's that he's sexually assaulted his trainer. So, I mean, he could have done some some pretty overboard bad stuff. But to this point, it's not to the point of Hernandez with murder and, and suicide. But I mean, he's going down that path. Yeah, no, I agree. It's just it's a shame. And, uh, you know, you, you don't want to see it continually get worse but unfortunately it seems like that's exactly what's happening um but you know i don't know there's not really much else to say about ab at least on my part I'm, i'm completely tired of talking about this guy but it just seems like there's always something new popping up with him uh you know I, I don't know, man. It's pretty fucking sad. Uh, apparently, the dude has nobody in his life that fucking will pull him aside or at least can pull him aside and, like, dude, tell him you're destroying your life. Uh, but it just is what it is, man. We'll just have to wait and see. Yeah. Yeah, it's sad, but um, it's definitely an ongoing drama, and we've been covering it uh, since we started the podcast. So, yeah, we'll, we'll can, you know keep giving our opinions on it. And like anything, you know, maybe maybe he'll, you know, a miracle will happen and, 
you know, he'll kind of just realize where he's at because there's certain points where he seems to break out of it, but obviously that doesn't last very long at all. And um, at the end of the day, there's kids involved and things like that. So it's, it's getting to the point where it's just sad. Yeah, man. And that's pretty much, they're all, uh, you know, that, that, that you could say about it, you know, but, uh, but yeah, man, guess what? This fucking marathon is just about over. Uh, <laughs> thank you guys for listening. Uh, thank you for hanging in there. I hope you enjoyed it. Uh, you know, we got some stuff for you next week. Uh, we're going to cover the Royal rumble. Uh, we're going to tell you guys all the amazing results or lack thereof. Uh, we're going to be talking, uh, giving you guys our super bowl preview. Uh, so that's coming up as well. Um, and all that and more, we're going to have some more stuff for you. Of course, we're going to keep talking entertainment, movies, music, all that fun shit. Uh, and, uh, you know, we want to hear from you guys. Uh, so if you're out there, if you're listening to the show, send us an email. You can do that by sending it to us at what's real pod at gmail.com. That is what's real pod at gmail.com. Send your comments, questions, concerns, or what have you. Um, obviously advertisers, if you'd like to advertise with us, you could email us at what's real pod at gmail.com as well. Um, the J man, it's, it's always a pleasure, my friend. Yeah, this is our first podcast marathon and we, we made it to the finish line. So yeah, to those that stuck with us, we appreciate, you know, everybody spending some time with us and, and what we describe as our world. We love talking about all this crazy shit cause we're into all of it. So thanks so much for, for being on the ride with us. And as I always sign off, big shout out to our producer, Cam. Thanks for all the work. Love the show. Hey, Ed, you, my brother, take it away, my man. All right, guys. Thanks, Cam, as well. The J, it's always a pleasure, my friend. Uh, and for the J, I'm Ed. Thanks for listening. See you next week right here on the What's Real Podcast. What's real? The real question is...